This is episode 209 of How About That Cigar, recorded live at the Corona Cigar Studio. We have the fourth edition of our Industry Hive Mind with Skip Martin, Charlie Minato, John McTavish, and Abe DeBabna. Please take a minute to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. Corona Cigar Company is your one-stop shop for all your cigar needs. Whether that's a brand new humidor, a box of those new cigars you've been waiting for, a top-of-the-line cutter or lighter, a place to enjoy the finest cigars and spirits with friends, or the only cigars grown right here in the Sunshine State, we've got you covered. Come visit one of our retail locations for the ultimate cigar experience. Visit us online at coronacigar.com. How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 209 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you so much for joining us live on Facebook and live on YouTube. Uh, please take just a minute, if you would, share us out to your favorite Facebook cigar groups. Let everybody know that we are live. Join in the comments. Let us know what you're smoking. Let us know what you're drinking. Uh, and throughout the process of this evening's show, we're going to have some great guests on. If you have any questions, make sure to leave those in the comments as well. And for those of you listening on the audio podcast, thank you so much for making How About That Cigar a part of your regular audio podcast rotation uh, here in the Corona Cigar Studios. Mm. Uh, it is a beautiful night outside. We have the big studio door open. We have our brother Raul Ramos sitting just over this direction, joining us live in studio tonight. Um, the Minnesota Twins. Mm. I, I know we harp on this a lot, but. Yeah, you they do. come off the all-star. Yeah, you just like, yeah, you do. Yeah. They come off the all-star break. Yep. And they're looking pretty good. Holding out. And holding then on the first place. And then we lose three in a row to the Royals. Yeah. So the, you got royally fucked. The, we got the, yeah, that's a yes. good way to put it. Well, the worst team in in our division, we lose three in a row. Uh I yeah, there's just no no words explanation for no. it. Um NFL training camps are underway. I yes. think, didn't you guys officially sign what's his name? Um, I've been I've been so off on my Vikings news. Okay. The one thing I do know is Dalvin Cook. Did you hear where he's uh, headed? No. So uh, we'll talk to McTavish about this. No way. He's headed to the Jets. Wow. Okay. That'll be, <laughs> see. Yeah. I thought you were a Giants fan, Raul. No, Jets. Oh, you're a Jets fan? How can you be a Jets fan and a Yankee fan? Because. I thought it was Mets and Jets no. and Giants and Yankees. Okay. Well. I'm I, fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the oddball. Um, and also, the um, the Minnesota Wild uh, signed Gustafson to a three year, 11.25 million dollar contract. Yeah. That's a good I'm not unhappy about that. No, I'm not either. He's a good goaltender. Yep. Uh, I think we could really, I think it'll be good to have him stick around for a while because Flurry, um, he's getting old. Flurry's old. Yep. And I don't even know if Flurry's going to make it through the season, to be honest. No, but I think he would be a great coach. Well, but there's also a lot of rumors floating around that we're going to lose Reeves, yeah. we're going to lose Dumba. I mean, if we lose, but both Dumba's those, getting old too. Well, he is, but he's still really strong and really big, and he he's yeah. one of those physical players that we we've we've got great players, but they're little they're little guys. Yep. 
you know, and we need guys out there to protect them. I don't know who knows what's going to happen. Um, but Minnesota sports is, you know, Minnesota sports. Yeah. It is what it is. Uh, but guys, this is one of our favorite shows of the year. It is. Um, we absolutely love this. And uh, so excited that we're able to get the band back together. We have the exact same group uh, coming on as we have uh, for the last three years. This is the fourth installment. I feel like we need to make like a hive mind, you know, theme song for the hive mind theme song. Yeah. 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 Make it sound like an old seventies cop show. Yeah. You know, like Kojak Uh, or or Mannix. Or what's the other one um, with the, the, can't remember <laughs> yeah it'll come yeah. to you yeah chips chips, chips. Yeah, there you go yeah, yeah, yeah there we go that's right uh so let's get into our main event of the evening and uh as always on how about that cigar live our special guests are brought to us by drew estate and at the upcoming drew estate barn smoker events every vip attendee will receive a 12 count box of liga Pravada h99 connecticut corojo flying pigs as a part of the vip ticket package also drew diplomat retailers who register and attend any barn smoker can purchase as many as five of these 12 count H99 flying pig boxes to sell in their stores. Each 12 count box will have an MSRP of $246. Liga Pravada H99 Connecticut Corojo flying pigs will only be available to VIP experience ticket holders and select Drew Diplomat retailers who attend this year's Barn Smokers. For more information, please visit barnsmoker.com. So you only had to to say it twice this time. Only, only, oh, was it three three times? Three times. What was the name of it again? I'm not going to do this. I'm not playing this game. I'm not the, the, the super long cigar names. They got the three times. That's it. I'm done. All right, <laughs> All right guys. Uh, if you would, please put your hands together and welcome to this magnificent show. Let's start with honest Abe DeBabna from smoke in. Good evening, gentlemen. See you, my friend. And now let's go with Mr. Charlie Minato from half wheel. Charlie, Hola. welcome Hola. to the show. And then let's go with John, the cigar surgeon, McTavish from Developing Palettes. Thanks for putting me on, you filthy animals. Appreciate it. <laughs> Doctor. And last but not Doctor. least, from Roma Craft to back, Skip Martin. How you doing? I, I, can I ask up front where Charlie got the Cinemax soft porn filter for his video? <laughs> not available in Nicaragua. Oh, man. Yes. Oh, love it. I love it. Uh, let's. I'd like to ahead. ask you a quick question, Garrett. Is like your stool like completely deflated to the bottom? <laughs> you seem you seem like an eight year old <laughs> sitting <laughs> next to Matt. You know, it's really funny because when we started going to the trade show and uh, meeting people for the first time in person, we were like, "Oh, Garrett, we thought you were so much shorter because." You sit. Yeah, I, I do like to sit lower. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. More comfortable for me. I don't think I ever noticed it before. <laughs> right. It's like when he's driving his car, he he puts the seat all the way back, yeah. and you know does the lean. Yeah. He's he's yeah, he, he, he 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 just likes to relax. Yeah. You know what are you gonna do? Me. Well, real quick, right. Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to uh, thank you very much uh, for this amazing treat that you have given us to smoke on the show and i wanted to ask skip what is the best way to cut this cigar (laughs) do you bite it do you cut it do you v cut it no 
I would cut it at an angle. Of, I would use it with a pair of scissors, maybe scissors. a little bit of an angle. Yeah, I don't have a scissors. Yeah, I just, you know, for tonight's show, I was like, I'm going to pull something special. But you do do a little bit of an angle on your perfectos. Sometimes. Anybody else have an opinion on uh, perfecto uh, angle cut? My, my opinion is that you cut it and smoke it, but. I, I don't know if I'd gotten one of those cigars. I'd give you my opinion. I thought we'd all get one of those. Yeah. Where are the free cigars? We're we're all well, just here for the free samples, all, right? Oh, see, McTavish has. Oh, that's the. Yeah. Uh, is that the Grand Robusto? Pulled it out of the tickle trunk. Nice. Yeah, these are special the, occasion. Seems the like the right Perfectos. time. <laughs> Gotta love it. It's a um, really, it's a really good cigar. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I haven't smoked one in years. I'm, uh, I bought these in 2018, and I'm excited to see what they're smoking like today. So let's go um, around and talk about what everybody's smoking and drinking. Uh, we'll start with you, Skip. Uh, I'm smoking a uh, Intemperance Volstead Blind Pig and drinking iced tea with stevia because I'm not Ooh. allowed to eat sugar anymore. So. No rum and Coke. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be like uh, um, Bazooka. Or, or uh, Dex, or you know, with nine hundred blood sugar, or whatever those guys had. Yeah, it's uh, it's an epidemic in the cigar business. I'm trying to avoid being the next statistic. Okay, awesome. More power to you, uh, Abe. What do you got rocking? Uh, I'm. I've been working through the cigars I bought back from the PCA show with me, so I'm, I'm smoking one of uh, Luciano's cigars, which I found out talking to you guys. I guess it's getting renamed. But well, we, do, we don't know for up. sure, but it's it's possible. Yeah, it's a good possibility. But so far, I'm enjoying it. Smoking very well. Awesome. Charlie? Uh, I'm smoking Skip's 13th birthday cigar. 13th birthday cigar. Nice. Do you want to take a shot at that name? Matt and I did nope. on Wednesday. No? I do not. Quinquagenero. <laughs> I've, I've attempted to right pronounce it 20 times, and I've gotten it wrong 21 times. Pretty close. Pretty sure that's banned in Florida. And uh, <laughs> and and John, what do you got going? Uh, so for the cigar, I got the uh, Phosphor Connecticut. Um, obviously, I started in the green room, so I'm about halfway down already. Um, and then because you know I got to get liquored up to go toe to toe with this group. Uh, going with the Wilson and Morgan Barrel Select Tobamori 1994 barrel. Ooh. So. Uh, it doesn't actually go with the cigar, unfortunately, but um, that's the bottle. It goes picked, really and... well with the green screen. I was just yeah. going to say that. <laughs> it does go right? really well with the green screen. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking awesome. It really is. Um, uh, well, I am. I'm drinking. Uh, I'm going to smoke the same uh, Casa Torres uh, as these guys, but uh, I poured a little E.H. Uh, e. Taylor uh, small batch, and uh, but yeah, it's time to get my cigar fight. What's Garrett? This is a 2022. Oh, it's 2022. Yeah. So you're, you're drinking old water. I am. LaCroix. I don't want to say that. Then don't say it. Yeah. I don't know how to say <laughs> that. Is it, is it barrel aged? Do they barrel age um, the water? Or is it just water? You know, I think this is. Uh, it's, it's can aged. It's can aged. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In a plastic lined aluminum. Get that nice aluminum flavor to it. Mm. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I think I'm going to get yeah. my cigar fired up, and we have we have a special new prop for the uh, for the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Toast Cam. Let's see it. Yeah. Let's let's see this here. 
Oh boy. Yeah. Oh, look at you. Let's get, uh, there we go. There we go. All right, let's. Uh, All right, you ready to rock and roll? Let's do this. When lighting your cigar, it is important to be patient, pay close attention to detail, and focus on the tobacco. In the same way, uh, Steve Saka brings those same qualities to the ultra-premium cigars of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Patience, close attention, and focus on the tobacco are the qualities that Saka and Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust have become known for. From Silver Mesa to Umbagog, Dunbarton has a blend that will fit your palate, your mood, and any occasion. Visit DunbartonCigars.com to learn more what are we doing again uh, uh, that was the most awkward pause smack his ass let me see you smack oh, that yeah, ass yeah, yeah. get a nice ass here, here. yeah mm, there we they, go they really they really outdid themselves yeah. themselves with it the, really uh, is a nice ass on that thing out i'm jealous all right, let's get. Maybe, this maybe we should have talked about how to light a cigar instead of how to cut a cigar. <laughs> I'm all I'm all in this this weird contorted like trying to do the reach around on the the Sako Squatch statue. Uh, not the kind of reach around you're thinking, but you know, the cigar lighting kind of reach around. Right. Right. Um, Six guys on camera talking about reach arounds. You know. <laughs> can put down 15 minute mark is when it off the went off the rails. <laughs> I, I, I think it went, it went off the rails when they started talking about Minnesota sports. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's pretty much how it goes off the rail. Yeah. By the way, football starts this week, so no more no more baseball talk. So, so football talk from here on in. Well, McTavish, did you see the news about Dalvin Cook coming to your guys? Did I see the news? How can I not see the news? Like, if I don't see the news, I wake up to 15 text messages, five instant messages, and 16 emails uh, about my team. And I'm like, man, let me have a coffee before I start getting lit up. What's going on? <laughs> Just ready for injuries. Yeah. Get ready for injury. Injury time. Bro, it's um, the Jets. You got you start the season ready for injuries. <laughs> I'm surprised well, that uh, Rogers isn't out already with a tweaked hamstring. <laughs> no, it's uh, what is it? Upper leg weakness. Yes, that was yeah, upper leg weakness. Oh. That's that's oh, yeah. the the go to. Yeah. yeah, I get that all the time yeah. too. Yeah. All right. So, two years ago, on the uh, second edition of the Cigar Industry Hive Minds, um, so this would have been July of 21. Uh, I posed a question: the over under. And I set the line at two years on cigar sales numbers, you know, Ooh. because obviously a lot of people were buying cigars uh, and cigar sales numbers were up for pretty much everybody, you know, in during that time frame. And I set the line at two years uh, as far as whether or not uh, cigar sales numbers were going to remain uh, at these, you know, be, you know, remain higher than pre-COVID, say, 2019 numbers, and or if they were going to go down. Uh, and uh, John and Abe both took the over, and Charlie and Skip both took the under. Who was right? Uh, John McTavish, start with you. Uh, well, clearly, if you're going to side with anyone, you want to side with the retailer because he's going to be the uh, optimist in the room. Uh, Skip's going to be the realist, and Charlie's going to be the pessimist. So I feel like uh, I think the overs got it on this one. Okay, Abe, what do you think? What what exactly was the stipulation again? I know it was oh, the, sale, but 
so the sales numbers the sales numbers in 2021 uh you know late 2020 early 2021 were really high because people were at home all the time smoking a lot more cigars and i said are these sales numbers going to stay really high for two years or more or are they going to drop down to um uh you know pre-covid numbers um and we we're at the two-year mark right now so there's no way these drop down there's no way they drop down to pre-covid numbers so they're still up. yeah they're still yeah they're still up okay uh charlie what about you yeah i think if it's a question of are they reverting back to 19 like uh we've got at least a couple more years i would say before that really becomes uh in jeopardy uh skip what do you think uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard for me to say. I mean, I don't know if you're talking about import numbers, uh, at, like the, that Charlie reports, or if you're talking about actual retail sales. Uh, sales. But I, my impression is, if you took the entire United States market, that the, the sales are down, and they have been down since at least last November. Um, John, uh, Garofalo and his people talk about. That. Of course, everybody's sales numbers. If you're talking about their sales numbers, are up, but in general, it's down. That's that's the consensus, right? Um, yeah, it, it it may be down, but it's nowhere near pre-COVID numbers. I mean, it's uh, it's still way above. We're still way. There's no way I can believe that this industry is anywhere near. pre-COVID I mean, even the numbers. import still, numbers are yeah, substantially I mean, higher than pre-COVID. Of course, back yeah, then we had eight dollars cigars. Now we have twenty dollars cigars. So you sell half as many and do more, I guess. <laughs> but but you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. The for us, um, our if you look at our 2019 um, trade show, it was our biggest trade show ever. Um, if you look at uh, our trade show uh, this year, it's probably 20% in terms of orders taken, 20% less than we did in 19. We still are shipping the same number of cigars every year. I mean, it, it, for us, it, you know, if the demand drops from 4 million a year to 3 million a year or 2 million a year, it doesn't matter because we only make a million. So I don't know what the... I, you know, I don't know exactly how the demand affects us. Uh, we have a lot less back orders than we used to have. Uh, so so um, I assume demand is down, but, I, you know, I don't know overall. There's a lot of stores that just don't exist anymore. I think there's some stores that are doing a lot better because they do a great job, like Abe, um, like two guys, like, uh, uh, you know, Cigars International. And then there's stores that... Um, that just don't even exist anymore or that are on their way out. Right. So it's hard to say. Yeah. We just lost a shop here. Yep. Um, right in the, in the twin cities area. Um, last week. And what, and what do you think that is? Matt? Uh, what's, what'd you say, Raul? He's moving to Florida. Well, he's moving to Florida. Um, uh, whether that's, whether that's the case, you know, the, the actual cause for the store closing its doors, I, I can't say. But he'd been flirting with closing and selling for the last three plus years since he opened the doors. Yeah. I mean, what, what I what I do know is that in 2019, right before 2020, like in, in October, November, there were factories laying people off. There were uh, there was a lot of um, reduction in production, like like factories, you know, reducing Torreyas. And so, so there was a lot of. Uh, demand constraint on, on the factory side because there was way too much inventories in the states for whatever sales was happening 
And so across the board, factory generally factories were uh, lowering production to the point where they actually were cutting workers. Um, and that, that kind of hurt a lot of those guys when they tried to catch up when COVID started and the demand actually went up significantly. Um, as far as now, right now, tobacco is a little bit easier to find than it was a year ago, but not a lot easier. Um, I think in generally a lot of the production has uh, become more rational than it was a year ago, uh, if not lower. And um, so I think that's good news in terms of quality and stuff. But if, if the sales are as if the sales are doing better than they were in 19, then, you know, that's good news around, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, starting with Charlie on this one, do you think that because we talked in the last couple of these shows about um, uh, quality control kind of declining um, and I was I want everybody's take on if if that's still uh, if the trend is still downward as far as quality control goes in your experience in the last couple of years yeah I, I think we should be really careful about the words that we're using uh, like trend is a for both this conversation and the one about sort of sales and volume and production numbers that's that's very difficult because on one hand, we, we kept referencing 19, like sales are definitely better than they were in the end of 19, but they're also trending downwards compared to last year and sort of what's happened in, in 2021. In terms of quality, yeah, it's it's not great. It, it certainly is not what it was prior to 19. Um, I think that there are two things that stand out to me. One is that the tobacco that was in inventory in 2019 and 2020 and whatever inventory levels existed, that from what I gather is, is largely gone, at least sort of on the open market, not to say like how much tobacco does Skip have stored away for himself, but when Skip goes to, to Nika Prosa to go buy tobacco, sort of loose bales or, or loose polonis, I, I can't imagine that it's anywhere close to what it was in 19. And more problematically, whatever buffer existed in 2020 has is gone because whatever tobacco was there that wasn't being used was purchased and so i think a lot of companies had to dig deeper into their inventory than they might have liked to um, some companies got in trouble for selling cigars sort of in the tail end of 19 and early in 20 and then COVID happens and it becomes a real problem for them and it sort of ma magnifies the issue and then in particular in nicaragua and skip i'm sure can talk way way more about this but the labor issue in nicaragua is not remotely close to resolved if anything has gotten i would say maybe it's not worse today again back to that trend thing than it was a year ago but it certainly hasn't gotten any better than it was a year ago and so what that means is that the people that are rolling and bunching your cigars they likely have less experience on average and every factory will claim like oh no we didn't lose that many people compared to the guy down the road but that's you know probably not true it can't be true in half the instances and the people that are checking your cigars also have far less experience um, than they once did especially in nicaragua because of mass migration out of that country okay um john from the stuff that you've been smoking uh kind of incrementally over the last few years um are you still you know today in july of uh the end of july of 2023 um seeing the same amount or, or slightly more with quality issues than you did? Um, you know, do you, do you feel like it's uh, still an issue today? I mean, and I'm not really one to be 
cautious about my words, but I do agree with Charlie that, you know, when we talk about sort of what we're smoking uh, at developing palates, you know, keep in mind, it's a very small subset of the industry. We're not smoking, you know, regularly produced cigars from factories that churn out millions of cigars. We're smoking new cigars that have been released in a very small, short window. Uh, In many cases, we're smoking cigars from new companies. Um, so I will say that, you know, companies who produce excellent cigars are still producing excellent cigars. And, and you know, like I can talk about like Hoya de Nicaragua. I could go randomly pick up a Hoya de Nicaragua or a Padron and I'm confident that it'll draw right, it'll burn right, or Romacraft. It'll draw right, it'll burn right, no problems. But in terms of the sort of 100 cigars that we collectively review as a panel, four guys each, uh, we're still recording probably a little bit better than, than 2022. Um, but still a lot more burn and draw issues than I would sort of expect, um, kind of, you know, and for us, the sort of construction and draw score, it, it's, it, it used to be kind of a gimme mark. Like you essentially would assume it'd be a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time, because that's how it was for years and years. You just didn't have burn and draw issues. So, um, you know, I'd say probably one in three cigars that we review gets docked for, either a, a burn wow. issue or a, or a draw issue. Um, you know, and that's, that's surprising because like I said to us, that, that, that factor of the scoring system wasn't kind of designed to be a gimme because up until that point, every cigar pretty much drew perfectly and every cigar pretty much burned perfectly. So yeah, it is a bit of a surprise, but uh, it, it is slightly better than 2022 anecdotally. I mean, I haven't crunched wow. numbers, but yeah. Are the, are the burn and draw issues more common than and i know burn issues can be kind of caused by this but um is that what's more common that you have seen is it burn and draw issues or is it taste and aroma that you can tell you're dealing with poorly processed tobacco that wasn't cured properly or fermented properly I mean, that's uh, I don't know that I can answer that second question in the time we have, and I don't know that I have the tobacco knowledge to answer it appropriately. That's probably a good skip question. Um, I would say that there is no consistent, like, more burn issues than draw issues. I'll go three cigars in a, in a row that have, have to have a relight, which is just bizarre, and then I'll go, you know, two cigars that have draw problems. Like, and I'm, when I say draw problems, I mean a significant snugness where you can tell there's, you know, you feel the cigar and you can tell there's a, there's a bunching error or there's uh, simply too much tobacco in the cigar. Um, but there's no consistency. And then, you know, occasionally we'll get the cigar that has both issues, um, which is unfortunate, but, uh, you know, like I said, it used to be a gimme score and now it's, now it's not it's something we're paying a lot more attention to. Abe, are in your stores? Are you hearing from customers or your managers or um, you know the employees getting feedback from customers that they're having more problems with cigars than they have in the past, or is it is it so? So I find this funny because honestly, I think I'm the only one really qualified of everybody on this panel today to really answer this question because we're really dealing with the end consumer, and I'm not dealing just from our experiences alone. I mean, we have a few hundred customer service emails every week on top of guys in the store. Um, now, we also don't have that phenomenon where we're trying everything or bringing everything new in. So maybe that's part of your experiences with the problems you're having. I mean, here's one I just got, you know, I don't, I don't try to smoke everything at the trade show because by end of day one, my palate's shot. 
So I like to bring it home, wait a while and whatnot. But I mean, here's a brand new cigar I never tried and it's burning great and it's drawing great. Your construction's on point. I, I, I don't, on the retail level of, of guy, you know, uh, an organization that deals with literally tens and tens of thousands of consumers, I don't personally see anything that's been spiked way out of the norm for the last decade as far as draw and issues. And, you know, we carry everything from newer brands to legacy brands that's been around for the decade. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything that's out of the normal. I mean, we, we still get that random uh, a guy who says, hey, uh, you know, I smoked three of these. They're burning funny. All right, well, send us that box back and we'll replace it. But n nothing like I'm, that would grab me and say, oh, my God, man, we have so many issues. So we have, I haven't seen it on the retail level. Okay. Skip, as far as uh, the tobacco question goes about this in particular, as far as quality, how does how does the market um, deal with you know supply problems and then companies who make a conscious choice to put cigars in the hands or sorry put tobacco in the hands of their rollers that they they're probably certain is is not ready to be put into a cigar well I mean, it, it, it's a there's a there's a long long answer, but the the short answer to, first to what Abe said is, the, the subset of, of vendors that Abe's dealing with are the best of the best, right? So so there's there's one you know kind of selection bias that that he has that's different than than the selection biases that you guys have. Um, from a raw material perspective and, and from a labor perspective, Charlie pretty much covered it. Um, what I would say is. The labor that goes into a cigar is actually a lot less than the cost of the raw material. Um, so even if you slow the rollers down, even if you um, even if you uh, knock them on bad cigars and, and select those out, uh, you're still losing the cost of the material. So um, you know, no no manufacturer wants to make cigars that are not good, uh, but because because you're losing the material. If you have a good quality assurance program or a you know, good quality control program, what you're doing is you're looking at the cigars by weight, by draw master, by aesthetics, and you're taking those cigars out of the ones that get a label put on them, right? And those rates have gone up. My, my anecdotal information is those rates have gone up at factories. For people, for example, who have cigars made by a factory, their costs have gone up. And one of the things people have told them is, look, our Segundo rate used to be, I mean, I can, t I can speak for myself personally. Uh, our segundo rate on Palestinians used to be, you know, two, three percent. Then it went to like six or seven percent just because we got a little tighter on aesthetics. We got a little bit tighter on how we we gauge uh, material mass and other things. Um, that also, I think, is happening at other factories. So if you if you add if you have to make three percent more cigars to, to make the, the 100 percent you can ship, obviously your cost of material and labor go up. Um, I know from a raw material perspective that used to we could go look at tobacco and if it was graded as an A grade tobacco and, and it was pro and it was completed in fermentation, that tobacco almost always would be reliably well sorted and reliably fermented. And you know we're we're seeing a lot of things that have too much fertilizer. So even though it looks great, it doesn't burn right. We're seeing a lot of, of problems with tobacco that's not sorted. And the labor issue, one thing people don't talk about is. There's less work put into the sorting and deveining, because or or newer people doing it, 
And so the quality of the sorting and deveining has gone down. So the amount that makes it into a pack uh, that shouldn't be there is higher. Um, and also people have gotten uh, stingier with uh, tobacco as climate change has made tobacco. I mean, like this year in Ecuador, for example, um, the almost the entire crop of Ecuador tobacco was kind of failed uh, in the first the first go round. Uh, Ecuador is not that important. Yeah, right. <laughs> so for us, I mean, it's Ecuador, Connecticut. It's Ecuador, Habano. It's Ecuador, Sumatra. Right. We already have a problem with broadleaf. We already Cameron. have a problem with Atapadaca. <laughs> so um, it's just getting tougher. Climate change, the demand, the, the amount of fertilizer they're trying to use to do yields, the amount they're trying to get wrapper and other things out of filler crops. A lot of things that dynamics with the last two years have changed. Um, how people approach growing tobacco and selling it the market because there's so much demand people have just gotten sloppier with you know it used to be people were like like leo reyes we buy a lot of tobacco from him he he, he will not let you buy tobacco that's not 100 percent ready because he, his kind of his process is his product um but and everything we get him from him is always the same quality it's well sorted it's in everything but in a lot of places it's like Hey, why am I going to sell this to you for $9 when a guy is going to buy it straight out of the curing barn for $9 and I don't have to touch it ever again? And so, um, you know, there's just been a lot of dynamic changes that make make getting raw material harder. And um, I personally, I, I smoked a number of cigars from the trade show. Um, I remember, uh, like Abe does probably, and maybe maybe other people, how bad after the, the boom was in the 90s, how bad the quality got. Um, at the tail end of the boom, and I don't think we're ever going to get to that point because the factories are going to address those issues before they put it out on the market. The market just isn't as forgiving as it used to be. But there are a lot of cigars coming out that have a lot lower priming tobacco, that have less flavor, that have less strength. They're still making really good, strong, flavorful cigars. They're just charging fifteen to twenty dollars for them. And and if you see these cigars in the seven, eight, nine dollar range, it's becoming more and more rare that they're putting the amount of work or the kind of quality tobacco into those cigars that they were even two years ago. Yeah. And that, I mean, that honestly kind of segues into the whole pricing question. And we've talked about this before uh, on the hive mind show about, you know, pricing trends. Uh, sorry to use the word trend again, but um, you know, prices we're seeing more and more uh, $20 cigars, $30 cigars, $80 cigars. Uh, and it's not like the market is vastly made up of cigars with these massive price points, but how do how do how do companies? I don't want to use the word justify, but I can't really think of another word right now. How do companies justify these high price points with also less and less availability? Is is it truly an availability question? They're like the best quality tobacco and the best quality rollers. Uh, no, there's, there's two. No, there's two different issues. One, okay. the 25 and up cigars, the hundred dollar cigars, that's a d completely different thing. That's kind of more tied to the European uh, people will pay eighty dollars for a Cuban cigar. Why won't they pay eighty dollars for a Nicaraguan cigar that's better, right? And and also there are retailers that they only sell so many singles in their lounge, and they want thirty, forty, fifty dollar cigars. And if it's, if you're going to sit down and smoke for an hour, if it costs as much as go into a movie, you know, or a couple a movie with popcorn and cokes and everything else, you know, 40, 50 dollars, then what difference does it make, right? Um, 
what I'm talking about is the difference between you used to find really, really good quality cigars at eight to twelve dollars. That same exact quality cigar now is going you're going to see, especially from companies that, that contract manufacture or con- companies that that uh, uh, out outsource their sales and their distrib- their distribution because because of the the labor costs and, and other things the, the exact same quality tobacco is more expensive the labor is more expensive everything's more expensive so um most of the time what you'll see now is that the whole tire spectrum is shifted over the quality is still there it's just now four four dollars more and um that's happened uh more rapidly in the last year than it had even in the five years before that um anything over 20 25 is packaging and marketing and bullshit. there's no i mean you know you can hear somebody say hey i make the same amount of money on a 30 dollars cigar as i make on a 10 dollars cigar that's complete and total bullshit. but a cigar has gone from a dollar fifty two dollars two fifty to land in in, a, in the united states to for some people three dollars four dollars five dollars to land in the united states so th- that three dollar four dollars at the register is real is real cost that shifted the quality spectrum off to that side and abe i have to imagine for you as a retailer that if you didn't have customers buying regularly buying for 30 40 50 cigars you wouldn't put them on your shelves correct i mean look we, we didn't put anything on our shelves that won't sell i mean that's just yeah not not what we do we don't run the museums and look there 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 is there is a calling for that type of product. It's a smaller niche market, just like anything else. There's less Ferraris and Lamborghinis out there than our Toyotas. I mean, it's just, you know, the way the world works. Um, but more and more guys are doing it because they've seen certain people be successful with it. So, you know, that's, you know, that's part of this business that's been constant since I've gotten into it when competitors see another competitor be successful in a field that maybe isn't like six by seven by 70 seven by 80 cigars you know back in the day we used to go through so many boxes because only two or three companies were making these mammoth cigars now there's half a dozen if not a dozen companies that are making seven by 70 eight by 80 cigars so it's it's now been diversified so when when a manufacturer, I believe, sees another manufacturer be successful in a certain segment, they may, might, may not be overpopulated. They look at that as a piece of a market that they could possibly obtain. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, what we carry is literally dictated by the consumer. So, um, you, know, you know, we have a couple hundred dollar cigars that sell regularly. We've been out of stock of the unicorn by Dunbarton Tobacco Trust, we can't keep them on the shelf. Now, is that an everyday cigar for most people? No, but it's without a doubt, I see it all the time, it's a celebratory cigar. I just had a baby, just uh, you know, sold our house, just bought our house. And I think for a lot of those occasions, more and more people are willing to say, hey, I slayed a unicorn, I grabbed a $100 stick. Um, and Skip Martin is actually right. I mean, anybody who tries to claim they're not a profitable or they make just as much money, that's baloney. But I think at the end of the day, that part of the story is not really what the consumer's after. The consumer's after that, I, I got something special and I'm going to take this moment or this special happy occasion in my life and I'm going to enjoy it with this cigar. And ultimately, that story transcends and 
works with the consumer base. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, someone mentioned about, oh, what's the deal with box for cigars? Why do they make them? Well, they make them because people are buying them. Yeah. I assure you, no one's going to make something that the end consumers won't buy. And if they do make it and the consumers ain't buying it, it's not going to be around for a long time. So some of these companies that are now are getting into $100 cigars, I know Rocky's coming out with one, I know these guys, you know, uh, $300 one company. They, you may see them stick around. You may see them. Hey, this was their run. It's never going to show up again because it didn't. It didn't work. But at the end of the day, that's strictly dictated by consumers. You know, yeah. as the price of the cigar has gone up, yeah, I mean it's gone up like everything else. I look at my electric bill. I almost want to freak out. I can't believe what electrics cost me. I go to the grocery store. I buy groceries, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It doesn't even fill my fridge anymore. So I mean, it's, it's just kind of where we're at. In, 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 a, in a where the country's at right now, um, are there still eight, nine, ten dollar cigars that are quality, great cigars? Yeah, McAuliffe just dropped one. Their new black is one of the best new releases we've had for a long time. And I believe that cigar is like an eight, nine dollar cigar. So yeah. it's out there, and I think consumers are just going to find their way in the process. But ultimately, they dictate what's what's going to sell and what doesn't. And if you're a halfway decent retailer listening to your consumer base that's what's going to end up being on your shelves so charlie kind of on the pricing part of things a question for you and i'm i'm sort of making these numbers up so just take it for what it's worth but if if we look at the cigar market if we go back i don't know four or five years and there let's say um let's say one percent of of the premium cigar market i'm talking new world you know dominican nicaraguan honduran cigars um able to be sold on u.s soil cigars uh let's say let's say four years ago i don't know one and i'm making this up one percent of uh facings were north of i don't know twenty dollars and if that as that percentage continues to increase maybe not by one percent a year but it continues to increase do you think we're reaching getting close to a point where that's going to level off or do you think that's going to continue to increase on a sort of regular basis year over year forever it's going to continue to increase okay uh, i have a less technical view of the reasons as to why companies are introducing more expensive cigars I think it's pretty simple. With the exception of the COVID boom that we mentioned before, there are more cigar companies entering the playing field. The reality is there are basically the same amount of cigars being sold, once again, with the exception of the COVID boom, on a year-in, year-out basis. And that just means the pie is getting split up into smaller and smaller chunks. And then I think when you factor in, and Skip sort of alluded to it, when you see and when these companies see that their same cigar that they sell for $12 in the U.S. that European consumers are, you know, foaming at the bit to pay $19 for it because that's a hell of a lot cheaper than what they're normally paying for a similarly sized cigar. They look at it and go, well, I probably can add 50 cents here. And then when that goes through a retail margin, that 50 cents turns into a, a larger number. And you just sort of rinse and repeat that. And they can just do it on the backs of justifying it as, Labor's gone up, tobacco prices have gone up, uh, everything associated with manufacturing has gone up. And that's true. And in some cases, I think some companies are passing on those price increases to consumers. But what we're talking about more in this conversation is not necessarily existing cigars that have been around for 10 years. We're talking about new cigars. Correct. And I did the math last year comparing, 
I think it was 10 companies at the trade show from 2022 to back to IPSPR 2017. And what I showed is that the numbers with just that random sample size proved that it's not the equivalent of a sort of, you know, 5% increase year after year, uh, that the average price of the new cigars that these same companies were introducing from 2017 to 2022, those cigars in 2022 were at more than a 5% increase. It wasn't as stark as you would necessarily think, but it, it certainly, you know, is is heavier. And I'd just like to add one last thing to the sort of Skip's um, commentary about, like, it's harder to find or more difficult to find $8 cigars that are good. The one thing that we didn't really talk about enough in the whole construction, is it good, is it bad dis- discussion, to me at least, is consistency. It's just a lot more difficult to find uh, you know, $10 cigars that are going to cons- be consistently as good, all 20 cigars in a box as it was five years ago, at least in, in my sort of neophyte understanding. Okay. Yep. So, John, you know, the the Canadian part of this is we know that it's very difficult to be a cigar smoker in Canada. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so, is it, it is it just continuing to get worse and worse for the the small number of of cigar smokers there and is it in i mean i sort of already know the question or the answer to this question but is it do you believe it's an intentional on the part of uh, uh of the government just trying to eradicate it entirely yeah i mean of course it is um and you know back when the legislative branch in Canada was trying to put through tobacco um, restrictions, increased taxes. I mean, that was a big part of the talking point. If you ask anyone in the legislative uh, branch in Canada whether that's their their goal, they'll say no. But uh, I think you'd have to be an idiot not to understand that, of course, that's the goal. The goal is to eradicate tobacco. And the only way that they can do that within a framework of having people actually stand up and fight fight back is to do it like the, uh, the the frog in the boiling water, you, you, mm-hmm. you can't boil the uh, tobacco users in Canada. You have to slowly ramp it up. And the, and the funny thing is that people are still paying 28 $27, $32, $35 a cigar here. And talking to my local retailers, uh, they're still seeing the same sort of increase in sales uh, pre-COVID. Um, you know, I don't think the uh, I don't think the numbers have continued to increase, but their sales numbers are definitely up. And I can have very candid conversations about them, about the numbers pre to versus pre-COVID. So, uh, you know, all these measures to sort of restrict that uh, haven't really taken place. But on a long enough timeline, of course, that's the goal. And, you know, there's a lot of measures in place to, to stop smoking in Canada. And when they discover that those measures haven't moved that dial enough, then they'll simply move it to the next level, which might be another... Uh, maybe it'll be an age ban. Maybe it'll be a no, generation ban. No, the next one ban. starts tomorrow. What's that? <laughs> so uh, I don't, it starts tomorrow, but there's a, a grace period. But you guys have new packaging restrictions that technically go into effect tomorrow, uh, right. like super aggressive warning labels. Right. Well, but I don't think they're required, like enforcement-wise, until mid next year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the I mean, they usually give a you know, I don't know if you call it a reasonable time frame, but usually it's like 12 to 18 months for implementation. Yeah. And the, I mean, the turnover of inventory isn't as quick here as it is down in the States. So there's, you know, there's a question of how to clear out your 350 or $400,000 worth of inventory that's going to take longer than 12 months to clear out. What do we do with that inventory? 
if it was uh, pre-plane packaging, the answer was, well, you're hooped and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I don't know how that's going to play out with the uh, packaging rules, but it's it, it's all nonsense. I mean, no cigar smoker in the history of cigar smoking is going to stop buying uh, whatever brand because it's got a warning label on it. The you know it's a combination of they don't understand cigars, they don't understand cigar smokers, and I think the root the root summary of that is they don't care because they don't want to understand it. Their goal is to slowly reduce the number of tobacco users in Canada until that number is zero. And, uh, you know, however long that takes and however many measures they need to implement to do that, they'll do it. Got to love that behavioral well, you know, the, engineering. The cigarette industry is, you know, cut cigarette smoking dramatically with warning labels. I mean, there's... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. So yeah, when, I mean, you want, to, you want to look at a model that didn't do anything, you know, that should tell you what you need to know. Yeah. Well, here yeah, in the U.S., they've buying. actually like the the court system has actually upheld that uh, text-based warning labels are ineffective, and uh, the anti-tobacco people have lost numerous court cases, including two at the the Supreme Court level, um, about text-based warning labels for that exact reason. Yep. As yeah, we I mean, look it's... at all of the you know the the economics of the cigar industry. Uh, we'd be remiss to not discuss the growing numbers in Europe and Asia. How is that affecting the American market? Um, I will. Charlie, do you have uh, any insights there? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that it's going to lead to increased prices, uh, as Skip alluded to. And as I mentioned 15 minutes ago, uh, I, I think that these non-Cuban companies are going to look around as their sales in Europe are growing in large part thanks to the, you know, talk about prices going up. But uh, for those of you that aren't Cuban cigar smokers, uh, beginning last spring, Habanos SA, um, which is the, the company that controls Cuban cigars, introduced massive price increases, in some cases tripling the cost of a, a cigar overnight, um, particularly for the Trinidad brand and to a lesser extent Cohiba, but still sort of double for Cohiba. And then varying amounts for everything else, and they've continued to increase prices, maybe not at that same clip. But cigars that used to be sort of $15 if you were in a, a country that was friendly, like Germany or Spain, those same cigars might be $75, $80 if you can find them now. Um, so I think that the prices are going to go up. I don't suspect that they'll mirror the Cuban price increases, but uh, I definitely think that that will show that there is more room for artificial price increases, um, if you want to look at it like that. And then, obviously, I, I think that uh, it also means that a lot of these non-Cuban companies are having a bit of uh, luck in a lot of ways, because it's not like they created this market, where even if the sales are slowing down in the U.S., like I think that we kind of all are in agreement that at least compared to last year, they probably aren't as strong, um, that it's giving them the ability to go into other markets and actually make money, um, which has not always been the case with these international markets. Uh, and I can only you know, speak on my end. I, I don't know how much uh, the rest of the panel can, but you know, for us, uh, we're growing in the U.S. Um, in terms of Half Wheels readership, but the international market is growing at a, a much quicker clip, and notably China, um, which is not a market that we've really tried to do anything about. Um, but China is now basically 10% of Half Wheel's readers, um, and that is the first time there's been a double digit or really even above 4% of uh, our audience has been in, in a country other than the U.S. Well, and the, the China thing is 
also interesting because there's a possibility and I mean, honestly, maybe this is happening already and I have no idea about it. Um, but even if it's not happening already, isn't there a possibility that we can start seeing some companies start to set up shop in China on Chinese soil, start importing tobacco, start bringing in people to train rollers, start rolling cigars and aging cigars, packaging them and shipping them? And if that's, so, it's already happened other than, I guess, the shipping back to the U.S. OK, so that's happening already in China. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's been going on for the better part, if not all the last decade, but it hasn't really been all that successful. I do think that there is going to be a we're entering a different chapter when it comes to the Chinese cigar industry in a number of different ways. Uh, number one, there, there's a lot more non-Cuban companies selling either directly or indirectly into mainland uh, in a way that did not exist five years ago. Um, number two, my understanding is, is that China National Tobacco, which is a state-owned uh, tobacco monopoly, the largest tobacco company in the world, um, my understanding is, is that they are much more open to the idea of sort of authorized and above board, or at least more above board than it's been. Um, in dealing with some of the non-Cuban companies without sort of the crazy licensing that you had to previously get. And then the third thing, which I think is really kind of the largest change of the bunch, is that uh, Universal Leaf, which is one of the largest tobacco companies uh, in the world, and when it comes to raw material, is got a partnership now with China and is going over there to tr really train the Chinese. And I think unlike previous attempts where there was some concern by the people that were people that, that everyone on this chat knows that were selling to the Chinese and were offering them some knowledge-based assistance. I think there was always some skepticism about the idea that they didn't want to give them all of the secrets because then the Chinese would cut them off. My understanding is that Universal is fully aware that this is basically a three or five year endeavor. They go to China, they sell a bunch of tobacco to the Chinese right now, and then they sell their knowledge and their expertise. And then, you know, maybe they get some sort of royalty. But ultimately, this isn't a, a 35, 40 year partnership that they're looking for. This is a, a sort of one hitter quitter. And at the trade show, I had a chance to meet with a, a Malaysian buyer and uh, uh, distribution company, and they talked about um, over the last five years, countries like uh, Vietnam, um, Laos, Cambodia, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Taiwan have tripled in their uh, cigar consumers. It is a huge growing market, but many of those countries don't want to deal with China. There's like this anti-Chinese in um, Taiwan. In Taiwan, yeah. Hmm. Yep. So they distribute to all of those countries, um, and uh, they thought that joke was going to land better, but apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> Just right went right, right over his yeah right over his head. Well, yeah. <laughs> Taiwan, yeah, I get it. Um, so. My question, uh, Skip, you've been in Europe for a while. Your numbers uh, in Europe, um, you know, talk about your numbers in Europe. And then also, what have you seen from demand or your dealings with the Asia clientele? Asian. Um, yeah, I mean, again, we're not a we're not a typical person. I mean, the person I would ask about that probably would be um, people from Hoya to Nicaragua or the people from Davidoff, uh, they're going to have a better, more rounded answer. Um, for us, 
uh, you know, we're in a lot more countries than we used to be, but we, you know, some of these countries you're talking about 10, 15 boxes a, a year, right? So it's not, a, it's not a lot. I mean, um, we, we sell about 20% of our production to Europe. Um, it, that's probably about double what it used to be. Um, mainly because our distributor Schuster has just opened more countries to buying. For example, in Italy, Italy right now is very close to in terms of uh, volume of sales to where Germany was before. So we're selling a lot in Italy, um, and um, in the UK as well. Since Brexit, uh, we we opened up a new distributor channel with a guy who has five stores in the UK, and he's selling you know probably half of what. Uh, Germany is selling so um, we could probably do enough we could probably sell a hundred percent of our production in Europe if we wanted to uh, and we and we kind of actually put any effort into to doing that and we'd probably make a little bit more money to be honest um, but you know I don't really other, other than that I don't have anything really to add to anything you know the other guys haven't already said um, John on the you had you had mentioned that you've got some thoughts on this. I I believe that's on the China piece of things. China, uh, not specifically on the China thing. On uh, just con consumption of non-Cuban cigars, sort of in the international market. And I think, yeah. Um. You know, I'm I'm uh I don't know if you would call it dual use because I've been a non-Cuban cigar smoker, New World cigar smoker, long or longer than I've been a Cuban cigar smoker. And so I've been involved in a lot of online Cuban cigar smoking communities for that period of time. And I can tell you that 10 years ago, if you tried to have a conversation about New World cigars with a Cuban cigar smoker, it was a non-starter. There was just no opportunity to have that conversation. And there's no point in even engaging in the conversation. And that really changed uh, two, three years ago, the sort of one, two strike of Habanos unable to supply inventory to international markets, coupled with them realizing that the only way to sort of recoup that that revenue loss was to increase prices. So um, you've got a, an international market that is used to smoking, or at least in the past, might have you know used to smoking 60-70% Habanos to non-Cuban, and the strictly Habano smokers are moving over uh, to New World in a combination of because they can't get Cuban cigars and because the pricing has priced them out of the market. And I can tell you that the last really 24 months, I've had more conversations about non-Cuban cigars and brands and recommendations uh, in 24 months than I've had in 11 years. So, you know, there's a, there's a huge swath of predominantly only Cuban cigar smokers that are now, you know, as much as 50-50 and some that have moved over entirely to New World, again, as a combination of they either can't get the inventory or they just can't justify the pricing because they recognize that, in fact, all the things they thought they knew about New World cigars are completely untrue and they mm -hmm. didn't understand New World cigars. And now that they're sort of getting an education on, you know, what inventory, what product is out there and that it's actually good. Uh, and they've sort of moved past the bullshit, uh, inclusive Cuban sort of nonsense that's always been in place and they've opened their minds to it. There's there's a whole, whole swath of people now that are consuming non-Cuban cigars and to be honest, I'm not sure they'll be coming back. Um, I don't think Habanos is going to be reducing their price for the next four or five years Never. conceivably because they don't have the <laughs> tobacco and they don't have the production. So yeah. at the current rate, uh, basically the sort of regular consumer of non of uh, Cuban cigars internationally um, 
you know, a lot of in a lot of cases, it's going to be a lost consumer. They're just going to be moving over to New World cigars, and that's that's great for the New World industry. So, yeah, and if you can create if you can create brands that have lower priming tobacco that have some draw issues, some construction problems, yeah, and they go right at home. And use and use less fermented tobacco. It's it's more Cuban esque. Right. Yes. And, and so, <laughs> so, so you that's know, right. you fit you slide right into that spot. <laughs> I know that Skip's making jokes here, but like I also think as someone that was in Dortmund in 2013, like or 2012 actually, I think, like it's also worth pointing out that the non-Cuban companies were not exactly, for the most part, doing much in any sort of serious attempt to sell to these consumers. I agree with what John just said that you know a lot of these Cuban cigar smokers were extremely close-minded, and as some of them have phased out and new smokers have come in and new retailers have come in, that that it's expanded. But the other part here was like. I remember being in Dortmund 10 years ago and listening to, to non-Cuban companies that were coming over for the first time and going to the international trade show. And they were like, yeah, we just brought over all of our mild cigars and all of our small ring gauge stuff, all of our traditional packaging stuff. And it's like, I don't like the, the people that are willing to smoke your cigars, the people that are willing to try non-Cuban cigars, they want the, the cigars that the Americans are smoking. They want the box press cigars. They want the big ring gauge cigars, not exclusively. They want the stronger cigars, again, not exclusively. They love the flavored cigars, again, not exclusively. And so turns out for, I think, most consumers, regardless of where you are in the world, uh, you want good cigars at a good price and, and a lot of the same stuff that we want here in America. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you an example, and maybe if you ever have someone from Oliva Cigar on, it'd be a good question for them. But Oliva, and I traveled in hundreds of stores in Europe, I mean, for everywhere from uh, Vienna, Austria, or parts of Austria, Czech Republic, over to you know Spain, and and up UK down to to Italy, and and I can tell you, I don't remember ever seeing a box of. Uh, um, Oliva cigars in any of the humidors, maybe one or two. And now they are probably, I don't know the numbers, but they're probably selling more than Davidoff at this point in, in, the, in the EU. And so the, 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 the percentage of increase that Oliva cigars alone has gone through with a dedicated attempt, they, they, they bought and, and, and expanded distribution. Uh, they're owned by a European company that's I mean, really that's, committed I to kind of the key. Yeah, that's committed to selling in the EU, and they did it at exactly this right time where where this this inventory thing happened. So, um, if if you want to talk to a company that's killing it in the EU, it's it's Oliva. Yeah. Um, a question for Abe. Um, let's put this scenario together that um, you know next year, and this is super far fetched, but just go with it. So next year at, in March at the PCA trade show. This uh, brand new cigar company sets up this big, beautiful booth, Flor de Beijing or whatever, China, you know, some you new could brand. Say, you could say El Septimo. Yeah, <laughs> some new brand from some, some new brand uh, where the, the, the cigars, uh, you know, the tobacco is imported to China. The cigars are rolled in China. They're, they're packaged in China and shipped to you know distributors in in the US and again I'm not saying that's a thing just roll with it uh, are are you going to spend time at that booth are you going to talk to them and if you smoke the cigars and they're good are you going to carry them um i could tell you that i seldom 
went and saw a brand new company who just, it's their first year at the trade show and we bought the line in. Um, it's too much work as an organization. Look, as a retailer, me personally, if I'm bringing a brand in, I do it with the intent that I don't want to see the brand fail. Um, so it's it's a lot more than, hey, I'm just going to the booth as a new cigar. Or even whether I like it or not. It, do, it doesn't translate well. It's understanding what their business model is, their business plan. Is it something that we could help build this brand and let it grow within our organization? So ultimately, that scenario of me going to a trade show and seeing this Beijing. But if they come out and by the next year, I've seen a lot of chatter. I've seen consumers smoking it. Some of our consumers may ask to it. I mean, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm good. I'm going to bring in whatever my consumer base wants. That's how I make a living. That's how I pay my staff, pay my rent, keep my lights on, feed my kids, etc. So as, as a good retailer, that's my job. I need to provide what my base wants, what my what, what I feel that they're asking for, and what, what I feel that will sell ultimately. Um, so I, I don't know if that scenario translates well to us, but it, it, you know, at the end of the day, you know, another thing is, you know, Charlie mentioned it too, you know, and, and John about what the model was and where cigar manufacturers are pricing it and why they're pricing it more expensive and then they're trying to justify it with added cost. But, you know, at the end of the day, there, there, there really is no formula in, in that any manufacturer has to set a base. I mean, obviously you have a margin that you have to make to be able to thrive and survive and grow and pay your staff. But, you know, we all know that there are lines and brands where their cigars are being sold way well above that necessary margin. And at the end of the day, I don't think it's something they need to justify. I don't think, you know, we've kind of gotten this in psychology that, hey, this is a keystone industry. It doesn't have to be a keystone industry. Most stuff, you buy shirts or clothes, it costs $10 to make, people paying $100 for them. At the end of the day, the consumers have to realize that they really control this at the end of the day. You know, if, if, if something you like keeps going up and up and up and up and you keep paying for it and it's, you know, whether you feel it's just a problem or not, that's what's going to happen. So I think it's going to get to a point where, um, you know, I don't know. I really don't know because everything now is shifted. So, you know, your 5 to $8 cigars from pre-COVID are now your 8 to $10 cigars, you know. Uh, I don't know where that trend lies, but ultimately, like, if, if manufacturers keep increasing that margin because they're – they're, they're feeling they can get away with it in Europe. At some point, I think the consumers are just going to say, well, I need to find another 10 or $12 cigar I like. You know, if that doesn't happen, then the prices are just going to keep going up just like anything else in the world. Yeah. I would be excited to try that new Siberian wrapper. The si Siberian? Yeah. 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 yeah it's very, just for the very... record, there was a Chinese cigar company that showed up at multiple IPCPR conventions and trade shows, not recently, but Great Wall was there. I would suspect yeah. doing zero business for the two or three years in a row that they showed up. I, I think what's more likely to s happen first with any sort of widespread, and I would not consider it to be hundreds of stores, but certainly dozens of stores, is going to be, and Altadis's sister company already tried this in Europe, is going to be to take some of that Chinese tobacco and mix it with other things and then sell it under an existing label. They tried it with a product called Vegafina Fusion, which I think may have actually been made in China as well, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I think that the American market's probably not ready for 
full-on Chinese cigars just yet. Okay. Um, one of the things we talked about on the first ever Hive Mind show, and this was in the middle of, you know, 2020, so... Did, did you... I'm sorry, I got to interrupt you. Did you ever answer the question, did I miss it, on who was right on the prediction? Oh, on the on the two-year sales numbers? Yeah. Uh, yeah, did you ever... Can you please write it on a five dollar bill and send it to right. Abe? <laughs> well, I think I, I'd say I'd say it was the over, that that one, and um, I don't think I don't think Garrett or I made predictions. I'd have to watch the show again. I don't, Wait, I don't. You, you you you'd say or you know? You mean you didn't research the answer before you? No, I. Hey, it I was know. a seven hour show. They didn't have time. To <laughs> I know that <laughs> it's been two that, years, Charlie. Char Charlie and Skip took the under, and you, Abe, and no. John took the over. You know, if you just assume Abe is right, you're going to save everybody a lot of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and don't you have a sign on your desk that says that, Abe? That was given to me. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just, let's just to start this conversation assuming I'm right, it will save a lot of time. Save, save a lot of time. Well, it's like... a. Uh, t-shirt my dad used to have um, that said uh, I would apologize but then we'd both be wrong um, didn't, go over, didn't go over super well um, and the, so, sign, the sign right above that one says I'll be smarter you'll be nicer I'll be nicer <laughs> if you'll be smarter that's a good sign too I like yeah, that. that's good so, so the first one of these hive minds we ever did July of 2020 uh, there was no PCA show that year um, you know a lot of weird stuff was going on in the world but so we talked a lot about you know the the pca the organization of the premium cigar association um went through some struggles you know they they don't always make the best decisions you know we don't always like the way they handle things you know back in the day and things like that but you know that was three years ago and I feel like from what I've seen based on my experience in the last three years of, of dealing with them directly and seeing other people dealing with them, that things have gotten better, that they have improved, um, both from a communication standpoint um, and, you know, the work that they're doing uh, outside of just the trade show, um, you know, from a legislative standpoint, things like that, um, starting with John, on this question, do you think the PCA has uh, shown improvements in the last three years? Well, just just so we um, put it in the proper context, if the PCA had done any worse, the PCA wouldn't be around. I mean, at the time <laughs> where the, the show was canceled in 2020, the PCA was cash negative. They had exhibitors pulling out. Uh, everyone was upset with the PCA. Uh, the last major idea, the consumer con was... Uh, widely uh, rejected and created a massive animosity in exhibitors and retailers. So, you know, starting from that point, I feel like you can't really do anything other than improve or you're, you know, no longer exist in an organization. But yes, uh, they absolutely have, uh, in a positive way, made uh, not only incremental improvements, but I think significant improvements in terms of how they're actioning things. Uh, that they're taking feedback and actually uh, making a plan and, and executing on that plan to deliver on those ideas. Um, and I think, you know, 2023 was probably the first trade show in a long time where I can't come out and just do 
45 minutes of negativity of all the things that went wrong because, <laughs> you know, a lot of things went right and the things that did go, did go wrong weren't really wrong. It was just a, a exercise of, you know, learning to do it better for the next time. And I get the sense for the first time since I've been attending the trade show in 2013 that they're prepared to take that feedback and execute it better for the next trade show and the next trade show. And that's what a successful organization does. So, you know, I think we're, 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 we've done a course correction for lack of better explanation. Um, I think that things are headed in the right direction. Um, I think people are excited to attend the trade show. I think exhibitors are excited to be back at the trade show. Um, there's a lot of good energy at 2023 and it felt like a real, you know, I, I don't think there's any one thing at the trade show that was, uh, blew my mind. I think it just felt like a, a true business trade show where people were going there to do business. They're happy to be there. The amount of complaining was minor. And uh, it sounds like a lot of people are already looking to book for, already have booked for 2024 and are already planning around that. So it seems positive. Yeah. Uh, Skip, what about you? You think they've made improvements in the last few years? <clears throat> well, I'd repeat the one thing that John said, which is, where there is constructive feedback, um, they are doing, they they are demonstrating that they're able to take that now and turn that into change, that repairs or or improves whatever it is that the that the, the feedback was about. Um, I think the developing palettes episode with all the different people covered this at length, and and it was I think it was a lot of good information if someone wanted to listen to that, but. Um, you know, I, the one thing I heard out of that conversation was, at least from Jay Davis, was that they actually gave Scott Pierce more of a ability to steer the ship and to and to do things um, across the board. And I think we I think we finally have are recognizing that it is a manufacturer driven organization, uh, and and the feedback from the manufacturers it seems to be making its way. Um, I still wish there were more retailers that came. Um, I think I, I still wish we could get a better grip on the cost of the show because the ROI really just isn't there. It, it's an it's a straight up marketing cost for us. The we're not going to sell one single more cigar because we came to the trade show or we didn't. In fact, the year we didn't go to the trade show was our more, most profitable year we ever had. So um, we we want to go. We like to go. We like to be there. You can see we have a much smaller presence. Um, it, just to, to rationalize the cost again, um, you see the booths getting lighter and smaller, and I th I'd like you know that trend probably will continue as people rationalize the ROI. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the PCA in a, in a show that's really consumer facing. It se it seems like maybe the conversation I'd like to see the conversation ship ship more to talking about the CRA. Because now that we're not in the middle of the, the, the heat of a, a regulatory thing like we were, I'd like to see uh, us get a, our consumer-driven organization, which also is a manufacturing-driven organization, to be really consumer-driven and, and, and everybody who smokes cigars to be participating and contributing. Um, and, that, and I'd like to see that organization, at least from a political activity and, and also from size and scale and importance to the industry, become the premier organization. Um, we're a long way from that, but I think if we shift the conversation away from talking about PCA, which is really just a trade show organization um, that does some regulatory stuff, 
to to the CRA, I think we, we would do better as a as a culture and as an industry to focus more on making CRA stronger than, than making PCA stronger or, or different, I guess. Okay. I would say. Um, Abe, what are your thoughts on uh, the improvements or not improvements um, by the PCA organization over the last few years? Well, a couple things. Um, I think John nailed it best, which really, there's really no, it only had really one direction to go in. Um, have I seen improvements? Yeah, but it's improvements at a sloth pace. And I think the, the real problem here um, is you have to understand the internal structure of the organization. Um, Skip mentioned that Jay said that they're giving uh, Scott more power. I, I hope that's the case because the the model or the way it kind of always ran is, you know, these 10, 11 board members, which are made up of retailers, kind of make all the decisions and then they would use the CEO or whatever they call Scott's position these days as the executor of those things. And you have to understand, first off, these 10, 11 people that sit on the board are volunteers. They don't make a salary. They're not getting paid. Um, they volunteered to do this. And um, some of them are good retailers. Some of them are average retailers. I don't think it's a room full of you know, ground shattering, sound barrier breaking people in this industry. But it's hard to get anything done when you're trying to get 10 people to agree on something. And 10 people who meet on a phone call once a month and try to make decisions. I, I, I spent three years doing it on the board with them. I think if you really want to see major improvements, major changes, that model has to be let go and they have to put somebody in charge who literally makes decisions. Um, in my organizations, we have a lot of times where we have things that we have to fix and how do we do it? And, and you know, one of the biggest things was the trade, our, our great smoke event, the year COVID shut it down, whether we were going to have one or not, we spent three and a half hours in a room trying to figure out what we were going to do before we thought the digital experience, but that's what the board should be. It should be a sound board for the guy who ultimately is just going to make a decision. And that's what I do. I bring in five, six of my people on my team and we talk, we bounce around ideas and ultimately I come up and I make a decision and then everybody executes. And I think we get until we get to a point where that kind of model is done at the PCA where, hey, listen, we're hiring you. You run it, you do it. You want our feedback, you want our input, you want our advice based on our experience and years in here. Great. That guy does a great job. He's still got a job next year. He sucks. He's gone. You get somebody else, you know, or give him two years to figure it out. But either way, you, you, it's never going to move any quicker or any dynamically or any major thing where you walk in and say, holy shit, what happened this year? I think until that kind of thing gets implemented. And, and in regards to CRA, and I don't know if Skip saw our show uh, this past Saturday because we kind of talked about it. The, the, the biggest problem with the CRA and why it's really never going to become anything significant as far as what it should be, let's put it that way, is I was one of the very small amount of people that actually started that whole thing. And we met in Houston and started talking about it. It was a handful of us. The whole concept was it was supposed to be a consumer-driven organization. If, you, if you're going to create something that's going to fight for the rights of, I mean, ultimately the industry, but based on what consumers want, 
it was supposed to be modeled after the NRA, which is very consumer driven. You're never going to go to Washington, D.C. and have any kind of leverage based on a couple thousand retailers. You need a half a million consumer base or a million members like the NRA and stuff like that. That's where you're going to get any kind of real leverage. And they've never successfully been able to make it a consumer real, a really a consumer organization where they're funding it and it's driven by the consumer base and connected to the consumers where consumers are proud. They're walking around like NRA members, big stickers on their trucks and something like that. It's, it's, it's another trade organization. It's another one that's basically funded and run by the manufacturers in the industry. And that's never going to let it get to where it needs to get to be. I think their key thing is, is they need to bite the bullet, figure out how they need to get a national spokesperson like Charlton Heston was for the NRA. I think Joe Rogan would be a great candidate. We talked about a couple different candidates on KMA this past Saturday. I think a guy like Joe Rogan could put a face on this. He already is in, into cigars, talks about cigars, smoking cigars on his show. He's a dynamic person that, you know, this guy gets his followers to contribute $5 a month. You're funding the CRA and you're getting, you know, maybe, you know, quarter million, half a million people all of a sudden signing up. So I, I think they need to figure out that dynamic if they ever want the CRA to become truly what it was designed to become from inception. Um, Charlie, what do you think about uh and I, I love those points, A, but I want to expand on that in a minute. But first, I want to get Charlie's take on uh, uh, PCA's progress and improvements possibly over the last few years. Uh, yeah, I think there's been some positives. I mean, one, they're, they're still here, which uh, certainly in 2020 was not necessarily a guarantee. Uh, I think in terms of the trade show, which is how 99% of the interactions with PCA in the industry happen, uh, I think that it's been some positives and negatives, but certainly the trade show is in a much better place than it was in 2021. Um, obviously, getting some of these larger companies to come back and recommit, moving the trade show to the spring seems to have added some excitement. So I think that that is positive, and I, I think there have been some you know, small improvements with communication and other things but i think that it's it's still a, a problem and I, I also think there's there are two very very large disconnects skip talked about one of them which is that the manufacturers are the ones that fund this organization my guess is doing some educated napkin math something like 90 plus probably close to 95 percent of the money comes from manufacturers almost none of it comes from retailers and there's a big issue because the people who sit on the board and not just the board, but mainly the executive committee, which truly is the one that holds all the power, it's, you know, five out of six of them are, are retailers. And not only that, five out of six of them are retailers and they're basically the same type of retailer. They're brick and mortar retailers, multiple stores. Uh, obviously, Mary from Smoker Friendly is an, an outlier there, but it's not like you've got a diverse group of retailers where on one hand you've got a single store operator that's you know relatively new to the business and then you've got ci and, and the, the big players uh you know also on the board it, it sort of draws from the same homogenous group of people so on one hand the money is coming from almost exclusively manufacturers and it is being controlled by retailers and that causes some issues beyond just like the obvious i mean like one of the, the things that stands out to me is a real black mark on the PCA is that the most recent part of the federal lawsuit that was extremely successful 
was paid entirely, at least the outside counsel, was paid entirely by CRA. PCA, to my knowledge, has never offered to refund or help pay for some of that money. I mean, that was at a time in which PCA didn't, you know, was trying to really cut costs and was furloughing staff and things like that. But, you know, I think the the message they sell to everyone is that, hey, we do all this work legislatively and for regulations. And then when you look at the numbers, it's a bit of a different story. And, and that leads to the other, like, giant elephant in the room that, that no one really cares about, no one wants to talk about, which is that uh, from 2017 um, till 2020, the IPCBR slash PCA, they, they rebranded themselves from IPCBR to PCA, was spending at a minimum $1.3 million on outside legal and lobbying. In 2021, which is the most recent set of numbers that we have from them, they spent less than 300000 um, I don't, like, I think that the vibe around the organization would be very different if that was something that was known about amongst manufacturers, let alone retailers. And I, I, the one thing I, I can't help but, I mean, I could talk about this for days, but we only have seven hours. The other thing that really stands <laughs> out to me is like, what? Um, Sorry, Justin's going crazy with the button bar. Yeah, yeah. No, you're good. The other thing that stands out to me is like, I don't think the retailers care all that much, let alone like the manufacturers who I think care a little bit more. So this idea of like trying to get consumers to care, I mean, let's deal with our own house before we start trying to go after the big fish. Well, and so uh, uh, do me a favor, unmute uh, Abe's mic for a second. Go ahead, Abe. But not skips. I wanted to, I wanted to clarify about the consumers caring for the PCA. Is that what you're talking about? No, no. What I'm saying is, is that I feel like, and maybe you disagree with me here, Abe, I feel like most of the retailers, even the ones that are at PCA, so the PCA members, I feel like most of them don't really care about the regulatory stuff until it's legitimately in their backyard and the, the yard is on fire. And That's so, been the problem of our industry since the beginning of time. It, great. So we're on the same page there. So my yes. point here is let's focus on the people whose incomes are directly affected by regulation and getting half of them to not just buy in as PCA members so they can go to a trade show, but half of them involved to the point where they're sending an email a year to somebody regarding regulatory stuff before we try to, to you know, bite off this massive consumer base uh, that's going to be very, very expensive and is going to have up and down returns, I think. Um, I don't think it's going to be as easy as Joe Rogan and $5 million and somebody the special. Consumer base, it's the consumer base I was talking about, the CRA. No, no, I, I, told, I, I, I get what you're saying there. My point right. is, like, we have, let's call it 2,000 retailers in America. Let's get 1,000 of them to the point where they are donating money in some fashion, whether it's a PCA membership or something else, and where they're doing something, just anything, on the regulatory front other than showing up to the trade show. And, oh, by the way, the manufacturers are only slightly better than this, including, like, the CRA. One of my biggest complaints about them is, why isn't Skip a CRA member? Why isn't I, I, Crown Heads? I am a, I'm a CRA member as but a like consumer. On, yeah, like, but why aren't all these, why isn't Crown Heads a CRA member? Why isn't Miami Cigar Company a CRA member? I don't get the sense that outside of the 10, now nine companies, thanks to STG buying well, out I can, Bradley, I can answer. I can answer that question for you. It's, have it's they called? Interrupt you. Well, I got, I got a two-hour hard press from Pete Johnson about CRA, so, and, and Glenn Loop, you know, uh, but, uh, buttonholes me every time I see him, and Look, I don't. I'm not. I'm not of the same th mindset you are about how hard it is to get consumers engaged. Um, consumers are more engaged today than they've ever been with 
these kinds of organizations and, and activities. They are more, it is easier to engage consumers with social media than it used to be with traditional channels. I think the problem is, again, in, in a nutshell, you try to get retailers and you try to get manufacturers to give more money to to an organization that's ostensibly a retail organization, but really isn't funded by the retailers and, and retailers not showing up was the biggest issue. So you just kind of threw your hands in the air and said, okay, now it's manufacturer funded. I don't, I don't think the retailers not showing up are the biggest issue, Skip. The retailers, even if all 2,000 of them showed up, that number that I was throwing out earlier, the 90-10, which is a very flowery breakdown. Right, but I'm not, I'm not just talking about showing up. We're talking about getting show. into like 85. No, no, I'm saying if, if all of them were paying the $450 a year to be members of the PCA, it's it not very much money, enough. unfortunately. Well, what I'm saying, the retailers need to be paying yeah. thousands of dollars a year to make a no, difference. I, I agree. I agree. And, and they we set are up, so far away from that. They set up a pack for retailers to do that, and, and retailers just didn't give, right? So, look, the, my, my greater point is this. You have to you have to manage things that you can measure, and you have to measure the things that get you to the the goal that you want. The problem is has been in a, in a lot of ways that the goal that we wanted to get to is not the real stated goal of the organization, right? So there was a set of manufacturers that had kind of kind of influence, and and a few retailers that had control over the PCA. There were re, there were manufacturers that didn't have enough voice in the in the in the PCA. That they kind of created this, they kind of co-opted CRA to become their. Hey, we're going to do things our way, but we're going to do it through the CRA. And and think, thankfully, they did. Some of them did that because, like you said, that was the most successful kind of defense we had against uh, the the regulatory problems in the last three or four years. What when I was asked to be to give money to the CRA as a manufacturer, the question I always asked was, how many consumers are active? How are we measuring that? Are we are we putting our resources into getting more consumers active and engaged? Are we doing what consumers want us to do, or is it is this really just a shadow organization so you can walk into a Senate office and say, hey, he's here with retailers, he's here with with consumers, and really they're both there to represent 15 manufacturers, right? And so, for me, um, I really do believe in the mission of the CRA as Jeff and Abe and those people established it when it when it began. And it, it, it kind of became something else. I, if it became, if we went back the other direction, you would see everything that came, every time I was on something like this talking, I would be talking about consumers being engaged. I don't have a microphone like Joe Rogan, but I would be giving money. I would be giving money to get more consumers. I would be yeah, personally. Skip, like, I think it's got to be something other than the CRA. It gets back to your same criticism of the PCA, which is that if one group is giving the bulk of the money, how right. on earth can the other group like get their interests served and the reality yeah, I don't know. is i don't know if we're going to solve it here I, I know there's two two and a half three million cigar smokers out there that don't want to look like canada right the, they don't the want powers to look like... and the powers and the people you need an organization that defends the right of the people that's right it's bigger than the manufacturers it's bigger than the retailers you want to that's talk about right. money that's where the money's at the CRA was always supposed to be a people-driven. It didn't matter what this manufacturer wanted or this, what this man. It mattered what the membership of the people of America wanted. If that's you right. don't get that, then you really don't. And, and, and that's the problem why guys like Skip or whoever, Crown Heights, they, they don't feel like they're being represented or it's not 
you know, it, it's it's a drowning battle for them. And I don't know if there is that thing. That's why you have to let the people be the voice because at the end of the day, the people are all our consumers. And, well, no, and I, we I think don't, we don't have uh, the luxury, you know, the, the cigar industry is not on your CNNs, your Foxes, your MSNBCs. The no, but we're all over. We're all over uh, social media. We're all over. We're in people's faces in the retail shops. So th- th- you don't have to have those classic media channels, right? Um, you, you, we, we reach consumers. I mean, I spend thou- ten, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as a company traveling to talk to consumers to sell a box of cigars, right? I can absolutely talk to them at the same time about getting involved in, in making sure that we don't look like Canada in, in four years or, or like Hong Kong is trying to do right now. But if you can't so, get the retailers to do that, like, right. We, well, we may not be equipped for the consumers. Like majority of consumers I, aren't watching yeah. podcasts. Majority of consumers aren't reading, you know, they're not going to half wheel. They're not getting any of the magazines. Um, and, and they're just not getting involved because there's no incentive for them. They just want to, enjoy and get their cigars and they're blissfully unaware of the threat that they have in you know in the cigar a lot of retailers i mean mean, look i would argue the majority of retailers are in that same boat look if i if i was a retailer still hand to god i would absolutely consider saying unless you're a cre member you cannot buy from me as an example right i would absolutely say I want you to be, you have your hand on the oars, and I want you to be involved in this fight with me. I'm not, I'm not going to give you $60 worth of cigars to get a $35 membership and, and pretend like your voice matters. I really want your voice to matter. I want my store to have two, 300 voices. I want to, to, to have meetings. I want you guys to tell me what's important to you. I want to inform you about what's going on. And, and I'm not saying any, you know, 1% of the retailers would do that. As a manufacturer, if I had a way to only sell cigars to people who had a CRA membership card, I would strongly consider that, right? Because yeah. I only have I, to sell so many I, cigars, and, and, and I know I, my company won't exist unless we get something, a consumer-driven organization that really works, right? So, but you mentioned excuse, the NRA. Last, last thing I'll say, Abe. You mentioned the NRA. Yeah, sorry. The NRA fell apart and is falling apart when it stopped being a consumer organization. When it started exactly. being when it started being driven by manufacturers directly to politicians, yep. and 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 they they lost the voice of people. You know when George Bush Senior got out of the NRA and, and and people started stepping away from it, and then people started catching on. Then you had all the fraud and corruption, and all the other stuff. That organization, whether it has power or not, I don't know. But there is still a consumer base of Second Amendment advocates who are strongly supportive of the things the NRA used to stand for. Yep. That 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 are looking for a place to be engaged, and the same yep. thing is true in the cigar business. I canceled my NRA membership twelve years ago. Yeah, I did too. Right. Um, okay. and, but like you were saying, Skip is you know you had companies like um, Winchester and Smith and Wesson that were requiring retailers to be NRA members, doing exactly what you said. If you want to sell my guns, you need to be a member of this organization. Um, well, but then you have to make sure the organization is actually representing the voice of those people you can't just say hey consumers you have to be a member of this thing where only eight eight manufacturers have a say so right you know they asked me for money i said look i'll give you the money but i want a fiduciary relationship with the attorneys i want the attorneys to inform me what's going on the same way they inform you 
I want my voice to be heard, an equal percentage, so that so you know if so that that if I say hey, this I want us to go for for whatever kind of regulatory position, that it means something, and it never would. So I never did. But if I'm going to demand consumers be a part of an organization to buy my products, I want to make sure that organization is listening to them, right? Not to me, or to Abe. whoever. Yeah, Abe, go ahead. And, I know you. You got something. Go ahead. No, I, I just want to say I, I agree with Skip. See, the psychology of motivating the end consumer is possible. You can make people wanting to be a proud card carrying members of the CRA stickers. I think, but as dynamic as Skip is, he's limited. The there's a large percentage of the cigar uh, smoking community that is not on social media. And that's why you need somebody as dynamic like a Joe Rogan or somebody along that line. To be a spokesperson because or Guy Fieri kind, or right. or Guy Fieri, that kind of person can dynamically make that organization become what it needs to be, or at least started getting there with some good marketing, with some good, you know, social media ads, with some good stuff. But it takes work and it takes effort. You need someone with that kind of a dynamic voice. But you know, I mean, I don't know how much we want to dwell on the CRA. I mean, that's a whole other thing in the piece. Well, the one one last thing I want to ask about this: Is it a pie in the sky or a or a pipe dream to consider or, or hope for wanting the CRA as an organization to reach out to Joe Rogan or some other cigar friendly podcasters like Bill Burr and Steve Harvey to say, "Hey, let's uh, we want to put an ad on your podcast." We'll pay. We'll pay whatever your regular rates are. We want to put an ad on your podcast uh, to advertise the CRA because and and you know go through the the list of reasons why it's important. If, especially if I was in this guys, if I was running the CRA, that's exactly what I'd be doing. But it'd be like, hey, we like to buy ads on your show. Would you like to be a spokesperson for this organization? I mean, the worst thing someone could say is no. But I'd be asking these guys. Steve Harvey's another great guy who's I, I think would be great. I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever reached out to these people, but if they haven't, shame on them. I mean, if I'm those, I mean, if I'm, Rocky, yeah. Rocky and I had this conversation about this, our first podcast after COVID, when we got kicked out of the radio show, when we get kicked out of the studios and we had to go to this StreamYard format, we talked about it in 2020, 2021. And I don't think anybody's done anything about it, about this kind of thing, but that's what they need. Well, my first question, if I'm one of those guys, is, okay, you're asking me to, to ask people to join this organization. What does it do? How many people does it represent? How do you measure? Part of the problem. Right. Part of the problem. So the answer is going to be, I, I love cigars, but I'm not, I'm not putting my name behind your bullshit organization. If, right. If it's, no, just a, no, if it's I mean, just a front, if it's just a front for nine manufacturers. No, you're absolutely right, Skip. It's it's a right. revamping of the whole model, and and right. and even letting that guy who's a spokesperson have a say in what's going on, because ultimately that guy should be passionate about this industry, just like we are, just like the consumers are. Yeah, it's like this Hong Kong thing, which is kind of completely irrelevant to us. But let's say in Hawaii, for example, uh, is a, they try to pass a rule that says you you basically can't buy cigars from Cigars International. Or let's say they pass a rule that says anyone born after 19 or 2022 can't buy tobacco ever. It's going to be 20 years before that affects anybody. But if tomorrow we became Canada, right? And sorry to pick on Canada, John. 
because there's a lot of ways we could probably do better being like Canada. Um, Sorry. But if, if we were like Canada tomorrow, there would be a lot of consumers walking into a shop, and like you said, the backyard's on fire, and they would go like, what do I need to do as an individual to stop this? And it's too late. And you can't, like, like Luciano said in the chat, you can't drive people based on fear or whatever. You have to, you have to basically say, what is it you want to have happen as a, as a guy who loves – cigars are a huge part of your life. You give me a little money, I'm going to go help make those things happen. And you've got to show results of that. The, the CRA essentially gave up even giving a shit how many consumer members they had. They just gave away memberships bought by manufacturers or event holders. Like, you know, I, I, I did every, it. I did right, it the Great I, Smoke for many yeah, years. Yeah, you give every single person that comes to the Great Smoke a membership so we can say that there are at least – there are some consumers well, we, who are a part of we this. We bought them. We paid, we paid for them. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. That was a big yeah. – it, it got to the point where that's the only thing they gave a shit about was – it didn't even matter. They weren't even trying to engage consumers. And so, no. look, look, I don't want anyone to come away from this saying I don't support CRA. I, I am a deep to my core, a 25-year, 30-year cigar culture smoker. It's, it's a huge part of my life. And the CRA as a, as a concept is something that would be a really important thing for me if it worked. And whatever I can do to help make it work that way, I'm willing to step up and do that. But until then, let's not pretend it's going to work that way if we're not going to really make any real changes. And the PCA, you know, is the PCA. It's a trade so thing, and they, they're doing better than they ever have. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, cons yeah. as a consumer, I could care less about the PCA. Next year, we should get, like, uh, little golden microphones for everybody on the panel. And they can just... <laughs> well, it... no, but, 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 but consumers shouldn't care about the PCA. Right. Why should consumers right. care about the PCA? The PCA is a trade organization. They Really, they shouldn't. Right. Well, and sort of, sort of tied into this, not necessarily directly, but I know that cigar-producing countries have sort of their own you know we have the nicaraguan chamber of tobacco we have uh whatever organization runs pro cigar the dominican you know pro department of, uh, yeah <laughs> and and then you know habanos sa is sort of a different animal um you know because it's mostly overseen by a you know it's a, it's a for-profit company yeah um but and i don't know if honduras has has an organization of that they do. They okay do. so of all those organizations through those different cigar producing countries, which, which one in you, in your guys' experience who have, who know way, obviously, you know, I don't even know the names of them, but of these organizations in your experience, which ones are run properly and, and healthy and which ones need some help? Um, Charlie, start with you. I, I mean, I don't like, Pro Cigar, I think, is the, the most professional of the bunch. I mean, like, I don't... Here's the deal. I, there are some local issues that happen in these countries that these organizations do a really good job of quashing, for the most part. Uh, there are some times in which the established manufacturers that control these organizations in a large way or that just sort of bypass these organizations in a different way will shove rules down throats that smaller factories may not particularly appreciate but like if the question is which one of these organizations is making a difference when it comes to lobbying regulations outside of their own countries 
The answer is good luck. Um, and in the case of like lobbying local issues within these countries, uh, the Dominican Republic seems like it's probably an easier one. Uh, Nicaragua's got issues that are far larger than the cigar industry. Yeah. And cigar companies in Nicaragua have issues that are far larger than the cigar industry. So, uh, and, and not like day-to-day pressing issues. I'm more like there are big picture things that they have no say over and will never have a say over, at least under the current uh, iteration of, of how things work in these countries. But uh, like, I think that the needs of these organizations are very different um, than the PCA and the CRA. And also, I think the needs of Pro Cigar, which represents sort of the elite group of Dominican manufacturers, with maybe a couple of exceptions of people who aren't part of them, they're very different than the other Dominican cigar organization, which represents a whole bunch of the smaller factories in Tambriel. Um, you know, it, it's it's like having a conversation between the guy that's got a Honda Civic and the guy that's got a Rolls Royce. Like, <laughs> they probably not guaranteed here, but they probably have different different issues facing themselves. <laughs> I mean, I can as a member of one of these organizations, I can tell you that. So in Nicaragua, uh, recently they abolished almost all chambers like this. Um, all the Chamber of Commerce, all the industry trade organizations, they made them illegal and they dissolved them. There was only like eight or nine or something that remained and the cigar uh, industry chamber was one of them. Um, I would say generally, um, outside of just doing Puro Sabor, which is the main function of a lot of these organizations, Puro Humo or Pro Cigar, outside of that piece of it, um, the organization does a really good job of communicating uh, and keeping things uh, from f- across the industry in SLE uh, communicated uh, very well. And as little issues come up, like new regulations or new taxes or problems we're having with exports or problems we're having with certain governmental agencies, you make one phone call to this organization, um, hey, I've heard this from five or six people, we're working on it. They come back with, with hey, we had these discussions with the government, this is what's been being done. It's been very effective, and you know, I, the money it costs me to be a member is easy for me to write a check every year, and and I'm proud to be a member of it. And um, I think we would be in a worse place without it, and we pr- continuously are working towards getting better, right? So I think it's I think they're effective, but at what, least within within the country we're in. But then we have the marijuana industry, who comes in and absolutely is sweeping the country with legislation with uh relatively no consumer it it is it is consumer that's the thing you don't understand is that it is a hundred the marijuana movement is a hundred percent consumer based it it is driven by demand from consumers and consumers demanding that their governments change rules and then the trade organizations layer on top of that to go organize and make those things happen yeah, but it is the consumer demand that is driving the changes in marijuana. Oh, there's yeah, no yeah. doubt that there's the demand. I just don't see a lot of the, the voice of the consumers getting involved legislatively. I mean, what about in Ohio, though? Like, I would argue that was a, a very clear example of... I'm not familiar, so, yeah. So there was a ballot initiative in Ohio, I want to say, in the 2020 election that would have legalized marijuana there, except it would have created a super license system where only 10 manufacturers, I don't know if it was growers or if it was, you know, product manufacturers, but it would have created a system where 10 people would get licenses and that would be the end of it. 
and the the citizens of Ohio were lobbied by smaller manufacturer organizations, manufacturer or marijuana rights organizations, things like that to lobby and to vote against this ballot measure, which did not pass uh, because it had been written in a way that that seemed like it was going to be way too corporate. Yeah, but there again, the marijuana backyard was already on fire. It was illegal. People were going to jail. They were, you know, whatever. And so it it took uh, 25 years for like kind of the normal 420 movement to actually start getting results. But it it has been and and an, has been a consumer demand, consumer activity driven thing. And that's and that's with 40 to 50 times the amount of users of yeah. versus cigars. So right. you know. Yep. I mean, I think the cigar industry would be best to to look inward and, and try to resolve the problems that it can identify for itself initially, because God knows any of these cigar podcasts, um, and we are, after all, just hashtag bloggers, like we can identify a ton of problems <laughs> seemingly with these various organizations. It's really, really problematic if you're like, well, why don't the liquor companies have to deal with these same rules? And it's like, well, uh, they have a lot more consumers, a lot more people care, and they have a lot more money. Um, and, uh, I think it's a very similar story with marijuana. Yeah. Risty says swag's better in the marijuana industry. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the swag. It is yeah. it's all about the swag. <laughs> um, so we've been seeing a lot in the news, um, really for a, a long time and it's becoming more and more prevalent, uh, mainstream news. Um, AI is all the rage. AI is being talked about constantly uh, and used more and more by many different industries, um, government entities, you know, things like that. Um, where do you guys see the effects of AI, if, if at all, on the premium cigar industry, um, whether it's short term or long term? Uh, John, what do you think? Uh, well, first of all, can we just address the elephant in the room that there is no such thing as AI? Um, what, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, for people who actually understand what it is, it's, it's just elegant programming with a new database style. Uh, it has nothing to do with artificial intelligence. So let's just get that out there because I tell you uh, the number of times over AI. But, uh, I mean, listen, we're in, a, we're in an age where, you know, it's the next age of automation, and uh, this has been coming for a long time. It's the, it's the slowest moving iceberg uh, for the last 50 years. Anyone who is in technology, uh, I've been in technology my entire life, and, you know, this is, this is a foregone conclusion. Every industry that can be automated will be automated, from transportation to manufacturing to retail. Um, interestingly enough, I think... Handmade cigars is probably one of the one of the industries that will uh, not be towards that from the manufacturing side, at least as far as I understand it. Because number one, it's being produced in countries that are going to be naturally resistant to um, that type of process, just based on cost. Um, so you know, I don't think that that's something that's going to transform the industry. Uh, we talked about this in the last show. You know, let's let's get to the point where half the retailers in the United States have a point of sale system and an inventory tracking system. And then we can have a conversation about artificial intelligence. You know, you can't even tell me what you have on the shelf or what you sold last week. Uh, maybe AI is a little bit more advanced than the industry is quite ready for at this point. <laughs> That's a great point. Love it. Uh, Abe, what do you think about AI and the premium cigar world? Um, 
I think eventually manufacturers will figure out how much labor they can save and all cigars will be rolled by robots and there'll be one very special one so that when all these other robots revolt and take over the factories, this one won't be affected and they'll actually be working in Skip Martin's factory. Oh, wait, that's a movie. <laughs> no, uh, no, that's a movie. No, I, I don't know. No idea. Skip, uh, is the is the AI bot currently currently working at Nigasueno? I have. I won't even contribute to this conversation. <laughs> I, I I completely object to the entire subject. <laughs> cigar smoking like masturbation should be analog forever. <laughs> Preach it. Oh, uh, sorry. Sorry that you have to follow that comment, Charlie. But but uh, AI and premium cigars is is it a thing? Does it matter? Yeah, I, I think it's going to matter. I think similar to sort of John's commentary about uh, what it might do for POS systems and helping people that don't have, you know, a uh, specialty in business understand kind of uh, how their business actually works. Uh, I think that as those tools become easier to understand, I, I think that's going to become prevalent. I, I think that for, um, you know, I guess everyone maybe except Skip, in this conversation, I, I certainly think that how Google goes about uh, implementing AI um, might have a, a massive impact on you know the the websites that the rest of us sort of really rely on um, quite heavily. Uh, I think that uh, it's going to be more like smaller changes. I mean, I think you're seeing some of it. You know, maybe it's not AI. You know, as John points out, like a lot of things sort of similar to the blockchain in crypto. Uh, we use these singular terms to describe a lot of different things happening all at once. I mean, one thing that I imagine AI is, or, or that sort of genre of technology is definitely going to impact is on the agricultural side when it comes to growing. There are companies that are, you know, targeting consumers, which means that they have to be prevalent in the, the industrial side of things. When it comes to, we're going to have satellite imagery of your lawn, and we're going to have you send in some soil samples to a company, and we're going to develop specific formulas or, or send you sort of specific formulas about how to grow your grass better, given, you know, sort of these data points that we can, you know, largely uh, do without having to ever visit your, your lawn. And I imagine for people growing tobacco, getting better data about uh, the soil and, and how the tobacco plants reacting to it and the, the climate and, and what AI or whatever you want to call it thinks is going to happen in, in the next 15, 30 days. Uh, I think that's going to be the places where you see the, the largest impact. Okay. I like it. So um, I have a question for Garrett. Ooh, bring it. Is it time? <gasps> I think it is time. All right, guys. It is now time for this week's Numero de los Muertos. And as always, Numero de los Muertos brought to us by Smoke In. Who? <laughs> Honestly, agree with the goat to tell you about Smoke-In's Cigar of the Month Club. Every month, I personally handpick five premium cigars. Another great feature is our Double Down Club. With a simple check mark, you can get double the great selections every month and save $10. Every month, there's a special discount code where if you like any of the selections, you can get them at a special discounted rate for our Cigar of the Month Club members. 
We've made it super simple. All you gotta do is log into your account. There's a little green button there. If it's green, you're active. You wanna take a break going out of town? Simply hit the button and you'll deactivate your membership. We get this stuff out on the 28th of every month. Our membership bills on the 28th and we get every member's package out on the 28th if it's a shipping day. All delivered to your door for $34.95. Five great reasons on what makes Smoking Cigar of the Month Club the best club out there. Check it out. Peace. All right. Numero de los Muertos, episode 209. Garrett, what do you have for us this week? All right. On average, in the United States of America, 115 people die from this thing. Yearly? Yearly. On average, in the uh, United is, States. Is it artificial intelligence robots <laughs> killing workers <laughs> and tattoos? It is not AI. Does it involve masturbation? It does not involve anything sexual. So it doesn't have to be sexual, I guess. Yeah, no. <laughs> One of these days, Raul, it's going to be that answer, but not. It's it's not. AI. Today is it's, not that day. Uh, it is not a microwave. Is this a workplace related instance? It is not. Recreational. No. Masturbation can be recreational. It can be. And workplace. And, and workplace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, yes. you try, if you try hard enough. If you try hard enough. It is not pooing. It is not cow trampling or tipping. Is it any kind of sports activity? It is not. Recreational activity? No. Are vehicles involved? Vehicles could be involved could be but don't go down that are animals this, involved? animals are not is this widespread across the united states or is it uh limited to a certain number of states um it would be it would be u.s wide does it involve US water wide. okay no water is involved not roller coasters uh not falling asleep with cigarette or cigar that would be 10 to thousand uh, yeah, not returning Puerto Ricans' phone calls. <laughs> yeah, well, only 115. Only 115 people a year. 115 people a year. Is not struck by lightning. Train accidents. Not trains. No vehicles. Uh, don't think. Is it a medical? Is it a medical procedure? No. Is food involved? No food. Disease? No is, disease. Is it a mode of transportation travel? No. Does it involve technology? No. I'm trying to think things that are cigar like CPAP <laughs> problems. Love it. No, I should do that. No. Um, not carbon, carbon monoxide. monoxide not flying. <laughs> um, number, number of people that die from heart attacks after Coops yells at them for not saying on a press release is probably in the dozens. <laughs> I would think. Not a chore, not garage doors. <laughs> the is it a real crime? COVID numbers. It is a crime. Oh. Oh. Mm. Uh, people that are trapped in walls uh, and die after trying to break into a uh, store to steal something. That's oh. good. No. Oddly, oddly specific. Super yeah, oddly specific. specific. I'm trying oddly to be old. I, I might know of an incident. Would it be considered an <laughs> I was going to say, there sounds some like personal experience there, Tom, John. <laughs> um, it would not necessarily be considered an accident. Not a robbery. Okay, give, give us a, give us some hints. Not a, not drugs. Is yet, the person, is the person, 
is the person committing the crime the person dying or is there no. a victim involved there's a victim involved are weapons involved yes shankings in prisons nope not shankings that's a good answer though that's a that great, is that is a great guess does it involve a weapon or it does involve a weapon okay is that Not weapon a firearm a or is that weapon is that a specific type of of weapon it is a specific i'm looking for a specific type of weapon number of people, people killed, killed by firearms that are malfunctioning and kills them no because there's a there's do, a do we, it's not did an we say that firearms are, did, did we say firearms are involved? Firearms are involved. It is oh, not okay. Russian roulette. Duels? People killed by fireworks. Oh, not duels. No. Duels would um, be pretty cool. Not accidental discharge. Not jarts. That's funny. Is it at is it at the firing range? Firing mm -hmm. range. No. That's good though too. That one as well. That's not a crime. That's is not it a crime. Uh, people hit by bullets uh, after celebratory Ooh, gunshot in the air? A stray bullet? No. Um, let's get uh, more specific on. So what I'm looking for is. I think there was 115 people killed by stray bullets in Chicago last weekend. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so the type of firearm is what I'm looking for. The type of firearm. Yep. Shotgun? BB, no. BB gun. No. Handgun. It is a no. hand. Well, not necessarily handgun. A blank a gun. A starter pistol. No. A revolver. No. No muskets. Not paintball guns. So it's not a cannon. Is this it's is a, this a, is this uh, <laughs> fi um, the firearm malfunctioning? No. I thought it's not an accident. It's not. Oh, an it's not an. Okay. Yeah. Not a. Yeah. People gun. killed by. It's not a water gun. By... Not a BB gun. These are people that may consider themselves to be handy. Oh, nail, oh, nail guns. gun. Not nail guns. Yeah. Is it red green? So Kill they're actual. Because they're they're handsome and not handy. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are actual. Like, gunpowder projectile. Firearms. Yes. People but it's a crime. But it's a crime. Yeah. Yeah. People well, trying to rob someone's boat crime, and, they, and, and they end up shooting themselves because the boat uh, tips. No. <laughs> Ghost guns. Yes. Instructors killing students. I love it. Yeah, I think is it <laughs> yes, guns made it is. made by three D printers. At a at a carousel, a homemade gun. What? Yeah. Yep, homemade guns. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, but 115 out of 330 million, that's that's a pretty low Seems number. Small. It is very yeah. small. Yep, homemade How guns. many people are making homemade guns? Dude, you'd be wow. surprised. There's a lot of, there's people a lot of sign up to join the CRA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people making 3D printed guns. Well, I gotta call. I gotta call you on something because that wouldn't those still be like is because the the homemade gun doesn't work properly. I mean, wouldn't that still be accidental well, murder? No, he's saying murder. they're just pretty. pretty yeah, he's yeah, saying that they got killed by a homemade gun. You make a homemade gun, it's not traceable. Oh, serial number. So how are you gonna link it back to the person that killed him if there's no serial? Wow. Number? 
I go back to that Clint Eastwood movie, The Line of Fire, when John Malkovich made that gun. Out of, I love that movie, and and yeah, I was I was like, okay, that. I mean, it's it's made out of resin. It's not. It doesn't have a steel barrel for the for the projectile to travel through. That gun's not going to survive being fired. A little I mean, a little tidbit out. for you. <laughs> a little a little tidbit for you since you like that movie so much. Yeah. The scene where they're jumping across the rooftops and John Malkovich doesn't quite make it and Clint yeah. Eastwood catches him and then puts the revolver. No, no, I'm sorry. Clint Eastwood barely makes it and John Malkovich is holding onto him and then yeah. Clint Eastwood puts the gun up to his face and then John Malkovich mouths the gun. Yeah. Ad- Ad-libbed was never in the script. Oh, oh, wow. I love it. That was just a John Malkovich in the moment move. That's another reason for me to love that movie. I love that movie. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that was this week's Numero de los Muertos. All right. Uh, so let's uh, hit everybody with a lightning round question. Um, so... Uh, and the lightning round brought to us by J.C. Newman Cigar Company, America's oldest family-owned premium cigar maker, creators of the popular Brickhouse, Perla Del Mar, Diamond Crown, and The American. J.C. Newman Cigar Company operates out of their 112-year-old El Relo Cigar Factory in historic Cigar City, Tampa, Florida. For more information on their cigars or visitor experience, please visit jcnewman.com. All right, so I'm going to hit everybody with the same question this week. Uh, and that is, what is the which technology innovation has made them has had the most impact on your life personally? Uh, Abe, start with you. Oh, dude, why do you start with me? Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, which technology innovation? Well, you're old. Like running water. I mean, I was going to say. I mean, like, how far are you going back? Because I mean, the smartphone, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, smartphone changed everything in the universe, how everybody lives. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I agree. If we're going that far back, if we're going that far back, I don't think you could say anything has changed the world or society or how we act or communicate, work, play, movies, everything, streaming, videos, smartphones. Most unbelievable invention in my lifetime. Tyler says sous vide. I fucking love that answer. Yes. Uh, McTavish, what's your answer to that question? The uh, easy answer would, I have to, I think it was Brian that just said the air fryer. Uh, I was resistant to the air fryer and uh, I got to say, I'm, I'm a, I'm fully in on the air fryer. Uh, Shut the fuck up. But but talking uh, broadly, uh, it's gotta be the internet. The internet and the internet of things has been the most transformative thing in my lifetime by far. Uh, Skip, what about you? Uh, I would say uh, modern maps, like, uh, you know, how do I get to this place? Um, I remember when I was delivering papers as a young, uh, when people actually read newspapers, um, the maps go where you had to go to, like, page 93 to, you know, uh, column F, you know, number 12 or whatever, and where you'd had the triple A trip tick to go on a road trip. You'll now you can map. basically you can be anywhere in the world and go to Google Maps or Apple Maps or Waze, and you can get from one place to another without asking directions, without knowing where you're going. Nice. 
Uh, Charlie, yeah, I think that you? falls into the smartphone. I think that falls into the smartphone. Yes, yeah, phones, naps, all that stuff. It's all internet, computers, but that specifically, I, I was thinking the other day, I had to, I had to get somewhere, and and I was just like, it's unbelievable how easy this is. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, Tyler they they said they said technology. I wasn't thinking clothing, but yeah, the underwear would have been up there. Absolutely. Well, and Ty, Are you Tyler talking about says, the uh, Valhalla? The Bahala man, living in as we speak. Well, and Crocs, I, I'm, I'll, I'll respectfully disagree with the, the Crocs comment. But uh, you know, to those who wear Crocs, you know, you go ahead and rock your Crocs, and, and that's you yeah. do, you, you do, do you. you. Yeah, John um, <laughs> Uh Charlie, what about you? Uh, yeah, it's also the internet. I mean, I think yeah. it's a. Yeah, I mean the the internet. The, well, the World Wide Web is turning 30 next year that's kind of bonkers i mean is it only 30 the world wide web 90 94. well the world the world wide web the internet yeah the internet outdates yeah uh, but yeah the the www is actually 94 its official inception um i like reliable condoms that's good <laughs> Uh, let's jump into this week's Notable Smokables, brought to us by Luciano Cigars. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. Uh, and you guys know the drill. We name a cigar each week that we smoked recently that was notable to us. This could be a cigar that has been on the market for decades that we smoked for the first time in a long time, or a cigar that's brand new to the market that we smoked for the first time ever. Uh, so, Abe... Actually, I started with you last time. Uh, let's go with the surgeon, John McTavish. Uh, what's something you smoked recently that was notable to you? Listen, I just smoked that Phosphoro Connecticut, and I thought that was pretty lights out. Uh, but prior to that, the cigar that I sat down with just in the last few weeks was the uh, Patina Anniversary. I thought that cigar was lights out. And in fact, uh, I think we published it. The entire panel was was pretty gaga over, over it, which is a, a rare thing to get all four guys on board with that. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, Charlie, what about you? Uh, I've not smoked a ton of cigars since coming back from the trade show, uh, but I did smoke an old Opus Maduro during uh, Spence Crawford slash UFC Salt Lake mm. City, whatever number that was. Uh, it was very Fancy. good, but uh, quite mild because it was probably like 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, all right, Skip, what's something you smoked recently that stood out? Um... So Charlie sent me a box of Opus X Magnum O's. Um, first uh, new media guy that ever sent me cigars. So um, I've been I was enjoying those while I was in Austin. The best show, the best cigar that I smoked from the trade show, and I think I probably smoked more of them than any human alive to this date is the uh, the All Saints Solamente, the the new yeah. one he came out with. Um, yeah, I've probably smoked a full box of those, and <laughs> I think I, I went over there every day, like three, four times a day to get one. So, um, And then I kind of stole all the samples that everybody else brought back. <laughs> um, I really like that cigar, and I liked, I liked it when it first came out, and I, don't, I can't tell you if it's the same, but I, I really, really liked it. So that's something I'm probably going to buy two or three boxes of at least to keep and smoke. Yeah. Um, Abe, what about you? Well, I'm, I'm going to say two because i had two new cigars this week and i was impressed by both um to the point where i'd probably include them in our cigar of the month club um i had on kma for the first time the the new uh, 2012 sumatra 
by Oscar Valadares that I was actually thoroughly impressed with. I'm, I wouldn't say any of the other 2012s fall like in my palette, like, oh, I'd love to have again, but I actually enjoyed that one a lot. And I don't know, it was just hanging out with you guys and Skip smoking the cigar, but I, I, I've been uh, thoroughly impressed by this one. I don't know if it's still going to be called White Panda by the time it hits the market, but this, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this cigar all night. Very nice. Uh, Justin, did you have a notable this week? Uh, yeah, it was the Tuxla Tutuaje Miami 10th year anniversary. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that was in the uh, Bon, was it Chasseur? Bon Chasseur, yeah. Chasseur, yeah, that was the one that I had those notables. Awesome. Uh, Garrett, what about you? Uh, mine was the Adventura La Llorona um, original release. Okay. And it was stupid. Um, for me, it was I, I smoked my of all this, uh, the scars uh, I brought home from the trade show, because as everybody knows, we only go there for the free samples. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I brought home, uh, I, I smoked the the new one from Jake mm. Wyatt, the Maverick uh, from Jake mm. Wyatt. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I and, you know, full disclosure, I wasn't necessarily a big, you know, uh, lover of the cigars. Um, you know, not that they were bad. They just didn't really hit me. Uh, you know, um, just right. But this Maverick, I really enjoyed it a lot. I smoked it last Wednesday, and um, that cigar stood out to me this past week. So um, definitely outside of kind of from a design perspective uh, and even a blending perspective, sort of outside of the wheelhouse of what they had already had on the market. So uh, I enjoyed that one a lot. Uh, so that was this week's Notable Smokables, brought to you by Luciano Cigars. Improving lives through fine cigars. Please visit LucianoCigars.com to learn more. Uh, so to give you guys an idea of some coming attractions, next week, for the first time in a long time, uh, and our, uh, as always, coming attractions, uh, brought to us by A.J. Fernandez, born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of cigars provides blend strength and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer. Whether it's New World, Dias de Gloria, San Latano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied uh, with a premium cigar from A.J. Fernandez. Uh, It's been a long time since we've done a pairing show on How About That Cigar Live. So next week... We're going to do a pairing show on How About That Cigar Live. Uh, and the pairings are a mystery. So please be sure to tune in live to find out what we're going to be pairing. Uh, could be food, could be beverage, could be chocolate. Who knows? Mm. Uh, but we're going to be putting together some lovely flavors with some other lovely flavors. Underwear? Uh, underwear, maybe. maybe. We'll see. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I have any that are you know ripe enough for the show, mm. but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so be sure to tune in uh, for that. Uh, gentlemen, it has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for uh, being, once again, getting the band back together for uh, episode 209 of another Cigar Industry Hive Mind. Sorry for the sirens. We got we got uh, something going on here in little uh, Forest Lake, Minnesota this I evening. I somebody's going to get dead. Yeah, they're... Numero Dos Muertos, you know. Well, oh, yeah, yeah they, they, they heard Numero yeah, Dos Muertos they and they came driving right over. Yeah. That guy's <laughs> 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 gun. The 3D printed well, gun. The good thing is my my next door neighbor is a police detective Uh, right on the other side. I have EMTs and then five doors down. I have a state trooper and then two doors past him. I have uh, state 
Department of Corrections. So we have all the bases covered. We're we're totally safe in this neighborhood. And I got a fireman in my garage with Raul Ramos. So, uh, guys, thank you again for being on. How about that cigar live? Uh, one of my favorite shows of the year is learning from you guys on this uh, this journey that we take. So, thank you so much again for being a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, all the viewers and listeners, thank you so much for being the best part of How About That Cigar Live. We're so grateful that you tuned in for episode 209. If you have questions, make sure to email us on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com. Uh, be sure to follow us on all your favorite social media at HBT Cigar. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the Facebook page, and follow us so you never miss anything that we have going on. And, of course, as we always say, until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. See you guys. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Any comments, opinions, viewpoints, or statements presented or uttered by guests on the HBTC podcast, HBTC live video streams, and all other media from HBT Media LLC are solely those of the individual and do not necessarily represent the opinions or viewpoints of How About That Cigar or its parent company, HBT Media LLC, any of our advertising partners, or the premium cigar industry. The primary purpose of How About That Cigar is to entertain and to encourage activity and growth within the community of people who enjoy or want to learn about the enjoyment of premium premium cigars.